Scared to death, scared to look, we're shook. There's no such thing as halfway crooks, but there is a brand new installment in the Paranormal Activity franchise, and we can't wait to talk about it. From writer Christopher Landon and director William Eubank, it's Paranormal Activity next of kin on this special bonus episode of Scary Stuff. And welcome to a bonus episode of the Scary Stuff Podcast. This is Eric Dellinger, joined by co-host Jacob Jones Goldstein. Getting closer to God in tight situations. <laughs> and Nick Leamy. Hey everybody, how you doing tonight? Oh, excited to be talking about this movie. And before we keep going, if you're wondering why we're starting out with a Mob Deep reference, that's going to go all the way back into episode two, which is where we covered the Paranormal Activity franchise front to back, which is Yay. why we're doing this bonus episode tonight. And specifically, that stems from, because that was a hefty episode, but specifically stems from Jake's always been a big proponent and a big supporter of the Marked Ones movie, which... It's so good. Yep. Very undersung. And also kept thinking the title was The Shook Ones. So it's become a running thing. (laughs) To to this day, when I talk about it, I have to remind myself to not say that because most people will look at me, you know, askew. (laughs) Like Nick is doing right now. (laughs) I'm judging you. Something's never changed. <laughs> no, but we've been really looking forward to this one. If you did listen to episode two, you know that it, Paranormal Activity franchise is one of the first ones we covered. We had a lot to say about it. It's been a big franchise for us. So we've been looking forward to this for a while because it's not just a follow-up to episode two. It's also a follow-up to episode three because not only is this a new Paranormal Activity movie, but it's from director William Eubank who did Underwater, which is what we built our third episode around. What up, Super Swift? So yeah, with Chris Landon coming back to the franchise and William Eubank directing, I was very excited for this film. And this is Christopher Landon coming back to this franchise after, you know, Freaky and Happy Death Day to You and really hitting his stride out there. Also, Paranormal Activity 2, 3, 4, and Marked Ones, yeah. Uh, on the subject of Christopher Landon, yeah, we are very excited to see him coming back to this franchise. And I haven't seen all of the movies he's done since Paranormal Activity, and primarily because I know we're going to do them, because we've already talked amongst ourselves about doing a Christopher Landon spotlight at some point in the near future. So Heck that's yeah. definitely on the table. And look, I, I'll say right out front, the spoilers, I loved Freaky and both Happy Death Day movies. Yeah, I did see Freaky, and I want to say, if folks haven't seen Freaky, check it out. It's terrific. Not only is it a really solid horror comedy in its own right, but it's also, when you hear that premise that Freaky has, which is such a terrific premise, it's impressive that the movie feels act- like it's actually living up to its concept. It feels like it actually gets all the mileage out of its concept that it should get. There's a lot of movies and a lot of shows I've seen recently where it feels like, ah, you felt like you didn't mine that idea for, you know, all the potential that it had. Freaky absolutely does. Happy Death Day, that series is a bit like that, too. Even the the idea didn't sound particularly good to me, and I wasn't in a hurry to watch them. And then I watched them, and I'm like, wait a minute, hold up. These are good. And I was very confused. I haven't watched them yet, and the first one looked, oh, it's interesting. I might have to get around to that. And then I saw the trailer for the second one. I'm like, this is going to happen. At some point, I'm going to watch these films. Because Happy Death Day to You totally sold me on the franchise on this trailer alone. (laughs) And, you know, so Landon, you know, I've really 
a fan of his now. And, you know, I guess I was then, too, because I liked all the Paranormal Activity movies. And William Eubank, too. Yeah. Like, I loved Underwater. What a great movie that was. Underwater. He also worked on The Signal and Love. I haven't seen those, but I'd like to. And I, I guess you put all that together, it's so weird that this movie is such a face plant. Oh my god, I had such high hopes for this movie just based on William Eubank and Christopher Landon, and yeah. I was less than thrilled by the results. Oh, I guess I owe you some, I owe you five bucks, Eric. Yeah. So we, I, I had an inkling where Jake stood, but we haven't actually talked amongst ourselves about where we stood on this, and I, I didn't know anything about Nick, so yeah, I was actively wondering, well, where's Nick going to land on this? So it sounds like I'm going to be on the more positive end of this, which is interesting because in the Paranormal Activity franchise as a whole, I'm generally, I, I like it. You know, I'm very fond of the franchise, but if you look at like my average opinion of all the movies back in that episode, I'm more, eh, yeah, it's fun. So this is going to be an interesting discussion. I'm going to tell you, the funny thing is watching this film, I had flashbacks to Wreck 3. Yeah, as did I. Yep. Not in a good way. <laughs> and, <laughs> I haven't seen Rec 3, so I did not. And the Cloverfield Paradox. Oof. Wow. Well, you liked that one, didn't you? Nah. Uh, okay. I didn't. I enjoyed it, but I admit why it was bad. And it's for the same reason I feel this was bad. Because it wasn't a Cloverfield movie. Exactly! <laughs> Just like this, I feel, wasn't really a paranormal activity movie. I It very much feels like a different type of film. That was originally written up even in a non found footage format and was kind of just like thrown into it and shoved into it. And I think it suffers greatly for it. So, all right. I I think this was always conceived as found footage because they don't they don't do that the other way now. They don't conceive something to say, well, let's make a found footage because they want to make money. And we're well past where that was a real huge selling point. And I, I had the same inclination. I, it made me wonder watching it if this was, in fact, written to be part of the Paranormal Activity franchise or if that got slapped on it later. And I did some work to to make myself believe that this is part of the Paranormal Activity franchise and, you know, as something of a reboot. There's a very, I'm going to say tenuous connection. I, I think it's a real stretch, but I did the work, so we'll talk about it. It is it is a big stretch. And I... I, I I should say, I didn't hate this movie. I did not. I, I'm pretty middle of the road on this movie. I can safely say I didn't hate it, but the problem is is that I just find it meh. And for a horror movie, that's kind of a sin. You know, <laughs> I'm going in for an actual experience, and I got eh. The only thing I can say for this movie, which is actually a complaint, is that it had a fair number of jump scares that got me. There were a fair number that just like actually like lit me up and like maybe like jump a little bit and whatnot. But the problem is, is that in in the, the best part of the actual Paranormal Activity series for me was the slow burn of it. Like Paranormal Activity for me wasn't a ooh gotcha ooh gotcha. It was like we're just building tension, we're building dread, and at the end it just punches you in the face. And I I. While the ending was a bit of a, a ride here, mm-hmm. I would not call it a punch in the face or a slow burn. No, I wouldn't call this a slow burn. I don't think it's boring. It's a little, it drags a little bit in the middle, but not not so much that I was I disengaged from it. No, not as much as other entries in the franchise, even. Yeah. So. I think I agree with you in that my resounding reaction after first watching this is that this was just a bog-standard found footage film. 
mediocre. There was there was nothing that that particularly jumped out at me as you know to hang my hat on and to make it particularly memorable. And in part, one of the things I, I wanted to talk about and I wanted to toss out an idea, and I'll I guess I'll just do it now is I think I might have enjoyed this more if it wasn't a paranormal activity film. And I say that because, you know, I look, I'm a big fan of the franchise and I'm, you know, this isn't going to stop me from watching the one that comes out next year and looking forward to it. It just, I think, you know, if this was just a random movie, you know, horror movie about Amish people, you know, <laughs> I, I would have been all in. I was watching, we're getting ready to do our Nightmare on Elm Street episode. We're at least a good chunk of it. And as part of that, I watched Deadly Blessing, the Wes Craven movie, which is about, you know, Hittites, which features Ernest Borgnine. So it's this very Amish-ish thing. So I've been getting a lot of that kind of that corner of American folk horror this week. So it worked out real well for me. Very nice. But yeah, I, I think I just, I because I wouldn't have been thinking of it in that context. I would have just taken it as its own thing, which, you know, I, I probably should have done it anyway. But because it's part of that franchise, you can't. And because it's part of the franchise, I watched it the first time through thinking about connections, thinking about how is this going to tie back, you know, and you have a pretty good guess through all of it. And then it doesn't necessarily pay off, depends on how much work you're willing to do for the uh, the creators here. But I mean, I don't think I would have loved it if it wasn't part of it. For, you know, I don't think it would have made a huge, but I think I would have enjoyed it more if it didn't come with a set of expectations of being part of a franchise, even, you know, the seventh movie in a franchise where I hated the last one. So you'd be happy if it was his own separate found footage movie? Yeah, I I kind of think I would. And although it still would have reminded me a little bit too much of the uh, Last Exorcism 2. Yeah, but here's my problem is that it's not even a, a good found footage because to me, found footage is very much dependent upon the format. You need to be true to the immersion. You need to be yeah. true to like, you're the person behind the camera. And I, I found this one quote from uh, Brian Tallarico um, I think really sums up my feelings on this very well. There are scenes that have coverage shot from different angles as if Margot brought a whole crew with her. It almost feels like the script was written in a traditional form and then crammed into the uh, paranormal activity found footage style because it's so inconsistent and only rarely employed well. When you're asking yourself who is holding the camera, something about a found footage horror movie isn't working. And it's absolutely right. I mean, there's some specific shots like right at the end I'm going to hold off on spoilers till we get to the warning. Uh, but <laughs> there's a specific part at the end where you're like, you're getting various shots over people's shoulders. Like, it's like, you've 100% broken the format. So on that note, all right. So real quick, wow, there's a bunch of different things <laughs> to touch on with this. There's so many different aspects of this movie to touch on real quick. Like I said, this is going to be full spoilers. If you haven't seen it, you've gotten our basic opinion of the movie by now. So, but I think we're all going to say, look, if you're a found footage fan or you've seen all the other paranormal activities, go ahead, watch it. Why not? You know, eh, why not? It's not a bad time. It's a mad time. <laughs> we're probably going to go through the movie semi chronologically and, and hit like the most of the major plot beats, but it's going to be full spoilers. So we'll probably cross reference. So there's the spoiler warning up front, but in terms of it being in the found footage format, you know, it's funny because just this week I was watching, um, I bought this on Blu-ray a while ago, uh, Mary Beth McAndrews, who, if you know found footage, you know she's an avid found footage watcher and talks about some awesome lesser known stuff. She had recommended on Twitter at one point, uh, 1974, The Possession of Altair, which is a Mexican found footage film. 
which as the title 1974 implies is constructed as if it's shot on eight millimeter. So it has all this grainy aspect to it. Nice. And it's a pretty solid film. I really enjoyed it, but it has, it's all, you know, handheld eight millimeter footage and no breaking of that format, but it has score to it. Mm. There, there is a cinematic score to it at a couple points, which this movie has as well. Yep. So in terms of shifting away from the found footage format. Now, going into this, Landon had already mentioned, I think it was it was Landon and it could have been Eubank as well, but it mentioned that this was going to be not necessarily a reboot, but it was going to be kind of its own separate thing a little bit. There had been allusions to that as part of the buildup to this. And the way I think of this movie is we've all worked customer service jobs and and phone customer service jobs. There's the concept of the warm transfer, where if you're dealing with a customer and they need to go elsewhere, you don't just, you know, blindly toss them, you know, to another phone number and then they go in cold to this conversation. No, you're supposed to, you know, transfer them over, bring someone up to speed, join the call. Everyone says, hi, person A, meet customer service rep B, merge a call and hop off. This movie almost feels like a warm transfer of the paranormal activity franchise away from being found footage to being a more general cinematic, like feels like it's, it's kind of segueing away because a lot of people on Twitter have been talking about the, that ending with it, breaking the format mm-hmm. and the movie does it early. It does it in the first scene. There's a reverse shot in the diner in the opening. Oh yeah. And then there's also multiple angles in the diner scene, which yeah, it's conceivable that, Chris, the videographer in the movie, had a multi-camera setup, but the way it's done, it feels very much like the movie is getting you acclimated early to the idea that it's not going to be in the strict format. And in fact, it plays with that at a couple points because there's, you get that idea early and then there's a shot of them early on where they're driving and you get drone shots and you think, okay, yeah, we're we're totally going cinematic because it's an overhead shot, but then they cut to the interior and you see someone's got the remote and it cuts directly from the drone shot to someone manning the drone. And then there's the slow-mo stuff we get. So there's points at which it feels like the movie is acknowledging and teasing you about, we know what we're doing. We're shifting away from this. So part of your enjoyment with the film is going to be how warm you are to the, the idea of breaking that format. And I've said before that my, affinity for found footage is really generally closely tied in with trying to get as quote unquote realistic a feeling as possible. So I don't generally gravitate to score or suddenly switching up the format. So I usually like more quote unquote traditional found footage. Um, On that note, every time I refer to found footage in my notes, I have FF. And this is where my comic brain before being a horror fan comes in, because every time I see FF in my notes, I don't think found footage. I think Fantastic Four. I always go Final Fantasy. <laughs> Fantastic Four here, too. Yeah, well, now I just want to do a found footage Fantastic Four film. You know, The Taking of Aunt Petunia. <laughs> I saw that. It was called Chronicle. Oh, yeah, it is called Chronicle. Yep, so we've already got it. So and we'll talk about more of the format stuff as we go. My My very first note is this movie commits to not giving a shit about being found footage very early. And I just kind of stopped thinking about it at that point. Cause otherwise every other note is why are they still have the camera on? What are they doing? This makes no sense. And 
I, I honestly think you're like you said, you have to just jump in, see what they're doing in that first scene. Be like, all right, never mind. I'm just going to watch this as it, as it happens and not worry about that particular logic inconsistency. We got we got some other logic shit to talk about, but I, I had to commit early to this one to not caring why the camera was on. Yeah, because the movie doesn't give a shit nope. at all. Nope, no, no, nope, no. Nope. Yeah. yeah. And in terms of it, so, and we'll talk more about the, the format stuff as we go, but in terms of it actually feeling tonally or thematically or plot wise as part of the paranormal activity franchise, I had a note to myself as far as, you know, reasons I was excited about the film. And one is there was a part of me that was hoping for the same twist I was hoping with Halloween Kills. So we all got together recently a couple weekends ago, and we all watched Halloween Kills together, which was you know, really fun to watch together. And I'd made the reference then that, you know, th- that's another franchise, which it said, nope, 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 this is a this is kind of a refresh. We're doing our own thing. And they kept saying, you know, nothing's continuity except the first one, and this is its own trilogy. And I'd made the joke. It was like, yeah, they say that, but I'm just waiting for the Call of Thorn tattoo to show up. Or, and, you know, Rob Zombie's Michael Myers show up and like, oh, it's all canon. And I wanted the same thing from this. I was like, no, 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 this is its own thing. We're kind of transitioning away from the traditional, but you get that magic fork from Paranormal Activity 4. And then not only that, but Koichi and Haruka from Tokyo Night show up and it's like, oh, it's all canon. Deep cuts and all. (laughs) That would have been great. But I guess this has become a bit of a thing on Twitter because Christopher Landon actually tweeted about this. This is a, a series of tweets from Christopher Landon's account on October the 30th. So I'm going to read these real quick. And I don't have any of the particular tweets that led into this, but what prompted it will become apparent as we talk through it. So Landon tweets, not that this requires any explanation, but since I'm overtired from a night shoot, here it goes. I've read plenty of criticism about next of kin and whether you like it or hate it, it's a matter of opinion and that's cool. But the quote, it doesn't even feel like a paranormal movie, end quote, is annoying as hell. Here we were facing a franchise quite long in the tooth it's tricks and mythology exhausted and convoluted beyond repair, parentheses, not my doing. And it was clear that if we're going to bother, we needed a major change. And unlike the current trend to reboot and repeat with slavish fan service that seems almost fetishized these days, parentheses, how many fucking Easter eggs do you really need? We took a weird swing, parentheses, see Season of the Witch for details, and made the movie we were curious and excited about. Now, a studio regime change happens mid-production so we never got to create the fully realized version of the movie but nevertheless it's the reboot we wanted because people should challenge themselves to be different it won't always work but it's better than a cash grab to just suck some fan dick sorry but yeah so that's my piece we swung maybe we missed to a lot of paranormal activity fans but we didn't drag poor katie out and march her around like a zombie and deliver the exact same shit I'm proud of Will and our cast and the movie that was hard as hell to make and ran. It, it, uh, uh, it, uh, see, I appreciate that he says we were done wringing as much blood as we could out of the stone. I get that. But don't call it a fucking paranormal activity movie. As much as I enjoyed hearing those tweets from Eric, watching Nick react to each of them in real time, was a joy that our he, listeners will never, never have. Know. He flat out said, <laughs> we'll never forget. see Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, which is not a Michael Myers movie. <laughs> it's not. It's, 
yes, it shares the name Halloween, but much like this movie, it has nothing the fuck to do with the franchise. Well, that's the point he's making, is this was to try and turn the Paranormal Activity banner. You know, at the time of season of what he's making, the thought was, fuck Michael Myers, we're just turning this into an umbrella for various Halloween set things. And I think, again, this movie feels like maybe we're going to ease Paranormal Activity into just being a demon-based found footage umbrella. But you see, that's different, though, because with the Halloween 3, you're like, okay, we had two movies, we did Michael Myers, now we're going to do a witch one, and maybe the fourth one will be this. You know, it's still early enough in the franchise that you can make it an anthology series. You can do that. You can grab that. There have been so many goddamn paranormal activity (laughs) movies. You can't just say... We're going to switch to a completely different format and concept. But yeah, there's absolutely nothing wrong keeping the name. There's a lot wrong with keeping the name. It's not a fucking paranormal activity movie. God damn it. The only thing this movie has in common with the others is it's found footage. They have a demon with the same name. That's it. That's it. That is the extent. He doesn't have the same name. They never call him Asmodeus in the, the other movies. So it's not even the same goddamn demon. Fuck or it. is it? Now, or is up. it? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So here's what I've I hate got. it. Asmodeus, the demon, you know, in historical terms, is from the book of Tobit, mm-hmm. which is very close to Toby. And you could make a case that they're just mishearing the name and it's Tobit. Like, Tobit's arch enemy in the book is named Sarah. The mom in this is Sarah. In fact, let me just let me just read this to you because this is great. I did some work on this. Uh, this is from the. Uh, uh, Wikipedia. The Asmodeus of the Book of Tobit is hostile to Sarah, Raquel's daughter, and slays seven successive husbands on their wedding nights, impending the sexual consummation of the marriages. In the New Jerusalem Bible translation, he is described as the worst of demons. When the young Tobias is about to marry her, Asmodeus proposes the same fate for him, but Tobias is enabled, through the counsels of his attendant angel Raphael, to render him innocuous by placing a fish's heart and liver on red hot cinders. Tobias produces a smoky vapor that causes the demon to flee to Egypt, which I just think is a great little detail, where Raphael <laughs> binds him. According to some translations, Asmodeus is strangled. Perhaps Asmodeus punishes the suitors for their carnal desire, since Tobias prays to be free from such desire and is kept safe. Asmodeus is also described as an evil spirit in general. Now, jumping over to the Paranormal Activity wiki, Asmodeus, and in quotes, Toby of the Book of Tobit, colloquially referred to as the demon and commonly misspelled by the media as Toby, T-O-B-Y, which I thought was just a great shot. Because <laughs> that's just funny as hell. Is the demonic entity from the Paranormal Activity movies and the main antagonist of the series. Toby, in quotes, it, is the name Christy Featherstone, later Christy Ray, gave the demon in Paranormal Activity 3. Toby's true name of Asmodeus of the Book of Tobit is only disclosed in Paranormal Activity Next to Kin. The footage documented in the movies has so far implicated Toby in the deaths of In Order, yeah, a whole bunch of people and whatever. Yeah, so <laughs> you can really give a big stretch and swing on that. And it wouldn't surprise me if they picked Asmodeus because there was that slight connection to the Book of Tobit. I mean, that that feels like a little bit of a, you know, he says he doesn't like Easter eggs, but that feels like a little bit of a wink. And, you know, whatever. But he do- he doesn't even play by the same rules. Oh, we'll get to rules. Oh. I mean, it's like in the in the franchise series, it's like, I hang around. I do weird shit. Occasionally, if you get scared enough, I get strong enough. Eventually, I possess someone. We're going to do some shit. In this one, it's like, I'm the fucking demon from Fallen. 
<laughs> I'm just going to hop around fucking bodies unless you get me trapped in the right one. And oh, look, I can just make everything go to fucking hell like it's the apocalypse. Good luck stopping me. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah, well, we'll, we'll get into the rules and patterns because there are none in none! this movie. None! And I have some problems with it. In fact, without The more we talk about this, the more I hate this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I will say this. I like the idea of kind of rebooting it, taking a swing, doing something completely different. Even under the banner, nope. I just felt like nope. you ought to say that that's what you're doing. Because, like I said, I watched this whole thing waiting for these connections. And if you say, you know, paranormal activity, the, the new kin or some shit instead of next to kin, I, I feel like you just tell me right up front, we're doing something completely to the left with similar tones and feelings and, you know, one scene that could have been in any of the other movies, I, I would have been less, you know, I would have been fine with that. It's just when you've built up a mythology and like the last two movies, well, not marked ones, but four and ghost dimension are almost completely in service of the, the mythology and trying to not bring it to an end, but bring it to a head. And, you know, they're, I like four more than most people, but they're, they're pretty inarguably both kind of swings and misses. If you jump back into that after those points, then you're you're setting yourself up for exactly the reaction that Nick is having right now and <laughs> the internet is having. If you come back and say, you know, the fucking new dimension or whatever, I, I think you, you, you got to state your intentions a little bit better up front because if I'm left to my own devices, yeah, I'm looking for Toby and Katie and all that. I don't need them. You can make a whole new... Look, I love Mark 1's and that has the connections at the end, but even if it didn't have Ali Ray in it, I don't love that fucking movie. It's a great movie. What I'm hearing is, is that if you come into this film and you've properly boxed yourself in and set incredibly low expectations and just kind of like force yourself to look through these blinders, you might be okay with it. <laughs> no, what I'm saying is if they hadn't set themselves up as without saying that this is something going to be completely different, completely new and not connected, you know, or overtly connected, depending on how you feel about the Tobit stuff. Uh, I'll leave that to the, the listener. It would have been easier to take what they did and not feel disappointed in it being something new. And again, I didn't hate this movie. I'd have like respected it. it a hell of a lot more if they hadn't used the paranormal activity title. If it was an actual nod to paranormal activity and it is the same demon and they're doing it in a different direction, they're doing a whole brand new thing, but they called it anything else, I think I'd have enjoyed it more. Well, I think we ought to buckle up for paranormal activity the other side next year because none of the actors are in that either. Well, at this point, they're probably going to, after the backlash to this, they'll do the Friday the 13th format and the next movie will be Toby Lives. <laughs> but I am... A couple quick things. I, I'm mostly on Team Chris Landon in this particular case, where, and part of it is, <laughs> I'm not attached enough to the franchise to really care. But also, to be fair, Nick wasn't either until I drew him back in. <laughs> I'm still not. Which I'm was kind of the whole crux of episode two. <laughs> it was was forcing him to watch Mark Twins. Yeah. I'm I'm still a purist though. Is the problem? So right. Like, well, right, I'm right. still kind of mad at the franchise. I'm like, it's a franchise. You should stick to being a franchise. Now, I like I mentioned, I did see quotes from you know, I don't remember if it was Landon or Eubank in the build up to this, where it was like, yeah, it's kind of separate. You know, it's not necessarily in the same. You know. And so I had a little bit of, you know, acclimated to that going in. And plus, again, you see that 
opening shift of format it's like okay yeah we're we're doing something a little different with this film but also it's like look if do what you think is right <laughs> and if this is the pitch that you're passionate about go for it like i said my issues with the film are are not that you know it's not paranormal activity enough i just think it's a a mixed bag found footage film but i am excited to have the paranormal activity franchise back for a few reasons but one specific one being it's been a long time since a horror franchise made it to space. Like, I don't think it was since Jason X. Like, Hellraiser got it out of the way early. Hellraiser Bloodlines, fourth movie, boom, in space. We haven't gotten to space in a while. But now, Paranormal Activity is back, and now Saw is back under the spiral name. So we've got a three-way space race at the moment. Between Jigsaw (laughs) from the Saw franchise, Toby slash Asmodeus from Paranormal Activity, or the Annabelle doll from the Conjuring universe. So who's gonna it's the three-way horror franchise space race? It's back on, baby. My money is absolutely on the Conjuring universe having a space movie. Mine is too. Put it down. Money down right now. Yes. Nope, I agree. Because the image of someone like like a post-disaster Earth, you know, with people landing on it to try and you know recolonize Earth or whatever, and unearthing the Annabelle doll from the debris is too <laughs> great an image for a trailer to not use. But I, all right, well, I'm not even really going to spoil it, but my, I do think that Halloween might get there before all of them. Eh. Yes, that's a fair point. If I had the creative direction for Halloween ends, that shit would start in space. space. <laughs> 100 percent. that shit would start in space and we'll eventually do those movies and i'll explain why then and if you've seen it you can probably figure it out but yes that one should be a space oriented film evil dies tonight in orbit (laughs) (laughs) I, i will say this about this and i think we'll all agree on this this is absolutely the best found footage movie set in upstate new york that we've seen because the other option is hashtag screamers Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. This is better than hashtag. <laughs> this is better than hashtag screamers by a long shot. But that's not hard to do. No, but I felt like we should acknowledge that. That is a fair point. Yep. Fair point. Fair point. Because this is filmed in Allen, New York, and it's set in New York. Like the airport they come through is Buffalo. Yeah, they thank the city of Buffalo in the credits. I saw, and they don't actually say it's Allen, New York in the film, but that area does have homage. I tell you what, the, the day after I watched this, I went to play disc golf. At a disc golf course we play called Broken Chains, which is in uh, New London, Pennsylvania, which is also a home to a lot of Amish. And I got stuck behind a cart. And man, I had some thoughts at that moment after watching <laughs> this movie. <laughs> Before we get into the plot details of the film, just a couple quick related things to throw out. One is just since Jake brought up the subject of other found footage movies, if you're listening to this and you're a found footage fan and you haven't seen The Medium on Shudder, Look, I'm going to watch it. Jesus Christ, Eric. <laughs> this goes for you, too. I said I was going to watch it. You don't have to call me out on live on air. Every time. Every I've been time. busy. I could be talking about anybody, Jacob, who has not watched the medium. But do check it out. It's a Thai found footage film. It's from one of the co-directors of Shudder, and it's co-written and co-produced by... Korean writer-director um, Na Hong Jin, who wrote and directed The Wailing and The Yellow Sea. Oh, The Wailing was so good. Yes. Really good found footage movie. I thoroughly enjoyed it. We're probably going to talk about it at some point. But just a real quick recommendation that I felt strongly enough about to mention. Also, if you're a found of... Found. Also, if, if you're a found of footage <laughs> fan... <we're... laughs> 
I'll leave that in. Fuck it. <laughs> if you're a fan of found footage, we actually mentioned this, I think, back in our found footage episode that it was coming up. But House of Leaves Publishing, which is an awesome publishing company, they previously put out the book Scared Sacred, all about religion and horror movies. They have an Indiegogo underway for their new book, which is called Filtered Reality. So it's a series of essays and articles about found footage movies. So as of the time of this release, I think they're going to have about a month left on the Indiegogo. You can just look them up, House of Leaves Publishing. We've already linked to it on our Twitter. We'll, we'll link to the Indiegogo directly so you can go to our Twitter. But just a quick idea, the lineup, the foreword for the book is by Stephen Volk, who wrote Ghostwatch, which is amazing. It's got articles by Alexander Heller Nicholas, Mary Beth McAndrews, Anya Stanley, who were all fabulous writers. Uh, Mary Beth McAndrews, who had an article in the Lake Mungo Blu-ray, and her essay for this is called Factor Fiction, Layering Media to Construct the Illusion of True Crime in the Poughkeepsie Tapes and Lake Mungo. So we got another Lake Mungo one. It's going to make me watch Poughkeepsie Tapes. Uh, I, I almost watched it myself over the weekend. So it's on I the am docket. so back and forth on that fucking movie, because look, I was born in Poughkeepsie, so like I feel a pull to watch this. But also, it's not the kind of thing I normally enjoy. So I, No, but it's also got the, if you're like me, it's like, well, I got to watch it because it feels like it might go away at any minute. It just you might. Know, it's like the devils. When someone is actually showing it, it's like, oh, fuck, I got to watch this for the 10th time because it's probably going to go away again. Even It's though, on Shudder at the moment. Yeah, which is where I almost watched it. And there is an article in this book about the Paranormal Activity series. Rebecca Booth and Valeska Griffiths have an article called Neither Present Nor Absent, Neither Dead Nor Alive, Hauntology and the Hex in the Paranormal Activity series. So I just want to throw that out there because House of Lee's publishing are terrific, and I'm really, really excited to see this book. Last other item. If you check out Next of Kin on Paramount Plus and you're a fan of Paranormal Activity, there's a documentary on there called Unknown Dimension which is about the whole Paranormal Activity franchise. It's terrific. Absolutely check it out. It's really, really good. Yeah, I, I watched that, uh, what is this, Wednesday? Is this Wednesday? I don't even remember days anymore. This is Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, so we're recording this on a Wednesday. I did a pass-through of the movie Monday, and I watched that right afterwards, and it, it made for a nice double feature, but I really enjoyed that documentary. That had a lot of good stuff in it. It has a lot of good stuff. It has a lot of fun behind-the-scenes footage. One of the outtakes from this is really funny, too. <laughs> <laughs> if you're like us and you were not overly keen on paranormal activity four well particularly nick and i weren't back in episode two this movie gives some interesting context for why paranormal activity four turned out the way it did and also worth mentioning that the title of the documentary unknown dimension would have been a much better title for the ghost dimension than the ghost dimension yep there's no ghosts <laughs> but there is unknown <laughs> there's not a fucking ghost one in any of these goddamn films well, actually, there might be a ghost in this. It would explain shit. But That's true. So that was a lot of tangential found footage stuff, but I wanted to mention all that up front because if, if you're a fan of paranormal activity, probably all that stuff I just mentioned is going to interest you. So. And if you, if you haven't listened to it, if you pick this up later on, go back and listen to our second episode on paranormal activity. It's, it's where we really kind of start to find our voice. But also, you can listen to me talk myself into paranormal activity for in real time. Yes. <laughs> Breaks my heart. <laughs> and if you if you ever wonder why we call ourselves the eat shit and die podcast on occasion it's, it's from that episode a lot of running jokes sprang out of that episode but yeah man i'm trying to love four man that movie had the magic fork you know i love the magic fork but <laughs> you're gonna hear about the magic fork again before this episode's over but. 
but I'd forgotten about the Magic Fork. <laughs> I will never forget about the Magic Fork. I, I, I came very close to rewatching the entire franchise for this, Ugh. and I just didn't have time because nope. basketball season started again. No, and I rewatched one of them. You want to know which one I rewatched? The only one that's on Paramount Plus. Four. <laughs> the only one on Paramount Plus is the fourth one, which was appropriate because I wanted to see the Magic Fork again. <laughs> All right. I don't need to pull my Blu-ray off the shelf, I guess. It is worth noting that this is only on Paramount Plus because this was not given a theatrical release due to COVID. And it's worth mentioning while we're talking about it, uh, Paramount Plus has also distributed other such classics as A Quiet Place 1 and 2, Halloween Curse of Michael Myers, and The Ring. Yeah, I signed up for Paramount Plus for this movie, so it did its job. It got a sale. I didn't have the network before. Signed up for it for this, and I'm giving them a month before, you know, I'm probably not going to stick around. I signed up for it for soccer, so this was a nice surprise when this got plopped onto there, let me tell you. I tried to watch some of the other stuff on it. They have From a Whisper to a Scream, which I watched, finally, which was a lot of fun. I tried to watch Creature, the William Malone space movie from the mid-80s with Klaus Kinski. And I was thinking, well, maybe it's the remastered version, so I hit play on it. And the streaming version begins with the goddamn blue FBI warning from the old VHS tapes. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, wow, they just, it's from right from the VHS master. So I think it's Severin Films or Vinegar Syndrome, one of those two, is doing a Blu ray remaster in a month. So I'll I'll wait for that. We've had Paramount Plus for a while because of the Star Treks. We're all about the Star Treks. Yeah, all that Star Trek nonsense is on there, isn't it? nonsense uh yeah my roommate steve's got paramount plus that so. was directly for steve because i know he's gonna hear me say that without knowing it's a joke <laughs> and he's gonna have to pause this fucking podcast and i'm gonna get a call in five to six weeks we're like star trek nonsense <laughs> <laughs> there's gonna be another more star trek nonsense before this review is out of the way it's funny that you watch four because that's the only other one that takes place out of california Oh, it does. Four takes place in Nevada, and it's and all the rest of them are in California until this one, which starts in Arizona and ends up in uh, New York. New York, yeah. Which I kept writing PA for Paranormal Activity and confusing myself in my notes because <laughs> there's Amish in Pennsylvania, obviously, and like PA. Wait, no, this is New. And I should pay more attention to my notes, man. It's not great. It's just a fucking mess in here. <laughs> but yeah. So anyway, so should we get into it? Yeah, let's. Uh, we'll get into the plot a little bit. Before we get into, like, the the opening bit, which we mentioned, which is in Scottsdale, first thing up front, Courier Fawn is back, baby! So first thing you see is that white Courier Fawn on black background, so it starts you comfortable, you know, with something familiar to the franchise. And then we get the opening shot, which is Margot reflected in the... Real quick, Margot is played by Emily Bader from Anonymous Killers, House of the Witch, and The Stalker Club. I like to think her name is spelled with an E-A-U-X instead of a G-O. Margot. (laughs) (laughs) and so right away the movie you've got a bit of a different visual aesthetic you know it's it has this more cinematic look to it the letterboxed format and it's you know not the first time that you know the franchise has done you know like played with the visuals a little bit in terms of uh, i want to say just like not being utterly true to the time period because you know three was ostensibly shot on vhs but it, it, they only did vhs grain and, and formatting for the like the opening scene they quickly did away with that we made the joke back in two that the, you know the carlsbad police department did the you know, the remaster of it, <laughs> to, of it in 4k but this movie starts you right off with a very different look so we're introduced to margo and we're also introduced to chris chris is played by roland buck the third from chicago med the week of and better call Saul. 
I liked him. He was one of the more interesting protagonist camera guys in this series, I thought. Well, it's because you get to see him more because, you know, someone else is holding the camera quite often. Well, but also because so many of them are dicks, and he is not a dick. He is, he's a decent dude. Yeah, I liked his performance quite a bit in this. And, you know, he and Margo have a fun exchange at the opening, you know, talking about, you know, that they're doing this documentary on her, and then they're waiting for someone to show up, who we'll see shortly. But the first thing we establish is that they're waiting. As Jake mentioned, it establishes it's in Scottsdale, Arizona. But specifically, it establishes they're in a Denny's. In Scottsdale, Arizona. Yes, yes. So I started off the movie pissed. Because <laughs> it wasn't like 2 a.m.? <laughs> well, they talk about it. They talk about Midnight Denny's runs. But no, that's what... I was pissed. And I wasn't pissed at the movie. I was pissed for the movie. Early. <laughs> because I don't know if y'all remember, but I remember there is a fine tradition of Denny's tie-in menus for movies. Now, the last one... I remember is for Solo, a Star Wars story back in 2018 with the Blaster Fire Burger, the Two Moons Skillet, <laughs> the Co Reactor Pancakes. There was the one for The Hobbit, but the highlight is when they did the one for the Josh Trank Fantastic Four movie, speaking of FF, where they had the Thing Burger, the Human Torch Skillet. I've got the pictures of the menus in my notes. <laughs> I've got all this shit in front of me. So instantly, not only did this movie get fucked over by just being tossed on Paramount Plus and not given a theatrical release, it didn't get a goddamn Denny's tie-in menu. <laughs> and how fucking awesome would a paranormal activity Denny's tie-in menu have been? I'd eat no moons over my Toby. <laughs> Toby T-bone steak and eggs? The French toast dimension? <laughs> The Holly Nelson omelet, Holly being the mother of Paranormal Activity 4, which is eggs, cheddar cheese, and a shitload of red bell peppers. <laughs> and video instructions. The Daniel Ray Burger, because he owned a Burger King franchise back in the second one. That's amazing. The Irma Slam slash the Marked Meal, which I didn't write down what it was, but it's going to be the most overlooked menu item that doesn't get talked about as much as it should, <laughs> like the Marked ones. <laughs> The dumbest one on my menu, ergo the one that makes me laugh the most, which is Paranormal Activity of Tokyo Morning, <laughs> which is miso soup, rice, natto, and salmon, traditional Japanese breakfast. And then for the Mob Deep tie-in, I wrote the Shook Meal, which the only thing I've got for that is the eggs are hard-boiled because there's no such thing as halfway cooked. <laughs> oh my god, I can't believe we have to call this Shook One Part Two because... There's so many good titles in what you just said. <laughs> and I, I'm going to... Shook One's part two, the French toast dimension, feels like the actual... <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you what it's like having PNG snapshots of Denny's menu side by side with wiki articles about the Paranormal Activity franchise trying to refresh my brain. What the fuck can I... What was the mom from Paranormal Activity for? I remember the fucking red bell peppers. And the video instructions. We started this with the, the Shook Ones joke, but I'm not kidding. I gave serious thought to writing an entire bit about the world of bell peppers and have Shasta record the audio for it. I was like, that is too niche even for our bullshit intros. But I thought about it real hard. And if it's been a while, go back to the middle of Paranormal Activity 4 when Holly the Mother is cooking and listen to the cooking show in the background. It's incredible. And we, we've referenced that several times in yep. this, this show. So 
Again, if you haven't listened to episode two, go back and listen to it because we're nothing if not repetitive. <laughs> so after we're introduced to them, now they see a car pull up. And the car bears Samuel. Samuel, played by Henry Ayers Brown from The Last Ferry, The Blacklist, and Back for Good. As Samuel pulls up and pays his Uber driver, as they make a note, he pays trying to pay an Uber driver in cash. Which you can't do. You can't get an Uber <laughs> if you don't have an, a phone and a credit card. You have to put that shit in first, man. So you were thrown out of the reality way before it did a perspective well, break. <laughs> here's my theory. She got the Uber for him, so he just assumed he had to pay when it was over. Sure. So she paid. She did the whole thing. He's just like, I'm in a car. Money? <laughs> I So they, I think it's here where they mentioned that he's on Rumspringa. Yes. He's 10 to 15 years too old for that. Yes. They do that shit when they're 14, man. Yes. Yeah. There's a whole documentary about it. And I'm, I should have looked up the name of it, but there's a documentary that follows a group of uh, Amish kids on Rumspringa. There's a bunch of Letterkenny episodes about old a couple about it no <laughs> but yeah it's one of those things it's like yeah he's on rumspring i'm like no he ain't so just immediately was i had some problems up front but i like i can forgive this shit whatever we'll get to the more grievous stuff later <laughs> well we get arguably one of them here like we mentioned that this is where there's the first kind of what i refer to as pov breaks where there's it cuts to an exterior shot of chris as they're transitioning to an interior dialogue scene between Samuel and Margot, and we get a shot of Chris kind of looking on. And yeah, we get miscellaneous dialogue from Samuel and Margot, establishing you know, bits and pieces about her looking for her family because you know, reverse looking up her uh, her DNA and twenty three and me, twenty three and me. I feel like the movie got like a like a nudge of cash from them for that one. <laughs> I've never been on camera, bitch. <laughs> you've clearly been on a plane before so yes you've been on camera oh <laughs> i don't mind throwaway lines but when throwaway lines are like distracting clearly that's not true it's annoying mm. you know i know i know they're trying to make him seem suspicious and you you get an idea later why but yeah it's still one one of those like anyway <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and there's just miscellaneous chit-chat in this scene establishing Samuel as, again, the Amish community member who's on Rumspringa and has been called in to take part in this documentary that Chris is making about Margot's search for her own heritage. So this quick scene establishing some odds and ends. Cuts from there to Margot and Chris chatting with their friends over dinner about how she met Samuel. This is where the 23andMe gets name-dropped. And Margot has video of the hospital showing, you know, her being abandoned, you know, left on their doorstep. Something they definitely give to all adoption children, I'm sure. <laughs> or anyone who asks. I, well, the only, the, here's the thing. It, like, there's no way in hell the adoption agency, I feel, would have that. She would have had to get it from the hospital. But there's no way in hell the hospital keeps video records that long. It's just, no, it makes no Those sense. Those are 24-hour cameras, man. That shit doesn't stick around. No. Not for, like. At least 20 years. No, no, no. I mean, at best, it's stored on a rotating drive, which means you've got maybe three to six like months at best of footage at any given time. Oh. There's no way in hell she gets that video from anywhere. Yeah. But, you know, that was one of those things. Like, this just front loads a lot of this stuff. Or, like, you know, try to turn your brain off. And I tried. That's and not I... a forgiving. <laughs> well, no, no, no. Just look, be dumb not... and you'll enjoy this. That's not. A... Not... This doesn't work. <laughs> Worked for James Wan. Oh, 
Jesus Christ. <sighs> Couldn't keep that one in, huh? <laughs> We're going to get us so much in trouble with fans of those films. <laughs> I thought we purged all this with the Malignant episode. Somebody's going to come up to me. They're going to be wearing like an Annabelle shirt. It's like, I love your podcast. Really? Bam. They're going to pop me right in the face. <laughs> well, clearly they listened. <laughs> Last thing you hear before you pass out, you know what you did. <laughs> I do. But yeah, and this is as Margot's talking over this footage and just kind of reminiscing about, you know, wanting to know, you know her background, why her mom gave her up, whatever. This is where I first made the note that the movie feels like a warm transfer to a non-found footage future for the franchise. Because ostensibly, there there might be cuts in this sequence that are jarring, but mostly it's just kind of the way it's framed. Like, even though it's handheld and from Chris's perspective, again, it just has this feel to it with just the, the, the lensing of it, you know, Margo looking down the barrel of the camera for some of the bits. It, again, it feels like it's easing you into something else. It's funny, what I, the second watch, or third watch, I guess, I, when I watched it after having watched the documentary about paranormal activity, one of the things that they talk about on the documentary in the first movie is that Micah, the guy who plays Micah, had experience as a camera person. So he kept framing the shots too good for the film when he was holding the camera. And <laughs> Orrin Pelly had to tell him, hey, can you, you know, screw this up a little bit? And I was thinking about that on that last watch through with this because it feels very much like these shots are too well framed all the time for found footage. And it, it reminded me of that. It's like they had that same problem, but just rolled with it. Yeah. Although in this, I think it was just, again, they just didn't care. It was the found footage aspect of it was not vital. That's what I love to hear about a movie. They just didn't care. <laughs> I'm leaning on the side of intent again, is in the, like I said, the, the intent was let's acclimate people to the idea that maybe the next one won't be found footage at all. And you know, we'll, we'll break that up. And that may be, but the point is, is that it was purposeful that they just didn't spend any time justifying the found footage aspect right. of this. Right. Because normally, you know, most movies do. They'll they'll say it's oh, they you know, we need the the 3D vision or the the light on and all this. And this movie is just like we're just not going to talk about it. But they do. They talk about the slow mo. They talk about the slow mo as and a way drone, to introduce yeah. you to slow mo. Right. That's it. And that's the it. drone is a way to tell you there's going to be a drone shot later. Yeah. And the, the slow mo one is funny because it's like 25 seconds of the movie that absolutely serves no purpose yep. other than to have one cool shot later on. It's just it's like, the one well, shot. And don't be wrong, it's a good shot. And they earned it by, t by, it's a shot I enjoyed, and they earned it by at least discussing it, but it's a, it's a hell of a stretch to get it. Well, but it's it's such blunt trauma foreshadowing. Yeah. Like oh, you yeah. catch all these details with this, so you can't see with your normal eye. I'm like, oh, somebody's going to die in slow-mo later. Yep. Absolutely. They do that a couple of times in this. It's just, you know, somebody in the background, you know, in the cast saying, screaming at you, foreshadowing! <laughs> Jumping ahead a little bit, it's the one where he catches her from falling into the bailer. Yep, 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 yep. Where it's like, oh, you gotta watch out for that, because that's right down there. It's like, come on, movie. Do you just This is a fucking script note. That's a deadly fall. My, I, you could be a demon-possessed being, and even that fall would kill you. <laughs> Don't know why that's my frame of reference, but... <laughs> what the Stepfather 3 is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> nice callback. Well done. Well done. 
So cut from here to the airport, you know, the three characters we've been introduced to thus far, landing in Buffalo, and we're introduced to Dale, the sound guy. Dale, I love Dale. Dale is played by Dan Lippert from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the Upright Citizens Brigade show, and Son of Zorn. My favorite thing about Dale is when he arrives and they say, oh, he's the sound guy. It's like, well, he's dying first because the sound guy always dies first. He's the least necessary. <laughs> Every fucking one of these movies. The sound guy. You're holding the boom. You're going to die. She's the protagonist. So she's last, if at all. And the guy holding the camera needs to make it to at least almost the end. So there's a camera there. <laughs> but, it, but it's true. Even when there's more like like found footage 3D. First person goes out. Sound guy. Yeah, sound guy. guy. Good call. Yeah. And it's like that. I think it's like that in Devil's Pass and, you know, so forth. But anytime there's a specific sound guy, that guy, gone. Well, I guess he wasn't the first one to die in that, now that I think about it, because the girl in the tent was. But he was a close second. <laughs> anyway, doesn't matter. Just a theory. Now I want to go back and watch all these found footage movies that have camera crew. And, and spell out who dies and what <laughs> role they, dies, you know. in what order and what function they serve in the crew. Yeah. I just like this guy because he shows up and he's fucking shaggy. And it's like, oh, there's Scooby Gang. Pretty much. Yeah, with, with the Prince Valiant haircut and the bowl cut. Yeah. and Yeah, he's... Christopher Landon always leans into humor in his movies. And so a, a lot of the characters get jokes in the film, but Dale gets the bulk and and most of them are pretty good. And, and he does a good job with them. Really? That was one of the things I thought was... He does a good job and the jokes are... I, this one, compared to his other movies, I just didn't think was as funny. Oh, it's not and as it, funny as no, like no. like any of the other, but like in comparison to the other paranormal activities. I, even then, I it, it felt like a lot of it was a little flat to me. That's because the entire movie was flat. Yeah, I th- that may yeah. be, but the the jokes, the, most of the jokes didn't particularly land for me, and and Landon usually does. You know, all you know, even in the found footage I, ones. I will say, I don't think the uh, the writing was great for the jokes, but I did like Dale's delivery. I, I like the energy that the actor is bringing to the table. Yeah, it, like it, it, only a couple of them actually made me chuckle. But yeah, I thought he, you know, he brought a good energy to him. I think yes. certainly it's quippier than most of the other ones in the yes. franchise. It, it, it ain't funnier than Freaky, but the funniest moment for me is when the old lady walks by him after he's got the haircut. And she goes, "Suits you." I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that was nice. I, I will say he Dale was going to be the community connection through. Brooklyn Nine Nine, and then I I kind of changed it up because you know there's a fair amount in here, but I went with uh, so Christopher Landon wrote this movie. He also wrote Marked Ones, and in Marked Ones, Anna Sanchez, who's the witch downstairs in that, is played by Gloria Sandoval. Gloria Sandoval is a fun character actor, but she had a role in Community, and she was on the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons episode. It's not a speaking role, but she's in it. She's a cleaner in that which is a little bit stereotyped but anyway that's our community connection christopher okay. landon to gloria sandoval to the ad and d episode which i couldn't i didn't have time to go back and watch and give the exact moment she's in it because it's the only episode not streaming because of the blackface in it so anyway how, how many seconds of her in it is there do you think like not a lot no no yeah Okay. But but she's the witch in marked one so that's how i wanted to get there. oh yeah 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 Nick, yeah. which disappointed you more, this movie in the Paranormal Activity franchise or that community connection? It was weak. This this connection's maybe the this might be the worst connection I've heard yet. See, I disagree. <laughs> I think probably the most tenuous one is the first one we did. 
with episode eight, the Benson and Moorhead episode, where we had the big Joel McHale appearance, but I went with the Lord Huron connection to the people from Resolution. So that was the most tenuous. But anyway. But you started with McHale. Like, you're like, here's this massive one. So I'm just going to play on this little side one. That's like, you're saying, you know, I had my meal. Let's play this little dessert here. Now it's like, you know, you're like Oliver the Bowl with like two peas in it going, can I have some more, sir? It's like, no, there's nothing there. <laughs> there. There ain't a whole lot of connections. Stan. I mean, the actors in this have all been in like four things. Yeah. So it was going through Landon no matter what. Fair enough. So. You should have made up a sibling for one of the people in this film and connected it to them. So you say, oh, it's the next of kin connection. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other end of it would be Dale is in Brooklyn Nine-Nine and there's a number of actors who are Brooklyn Nine-Nine that are also in Community. That's so true. I could have gone that. That's true. But I wanted to go through Gloria Sandoval because she's more fun and she plays the witch. She's fantastic. She's great in that movie. I love that. So anyway, moving on from my disappointment to Nick's. <laughs> <laughs> You're not my real dad. <laughs> so everyone piles into Dale's van, and this is where we get the drone shots we mentioned earlier. Miscellaneous chit-chat, miscellaneous establishing shots of Amish country, New York. Uh, there's a horse and buggy that passes on the other side of the road. We get Margot's look of wonderment at the horse and buggy, which is really charming, because in this neck of the woods, it's been years since I've seen the front end of a horse and buggy. But I've seen the back end of a horse and buggy a lot. <laughs> Many times. On For back miles. roads, when I've got some place to be, <laughs> and it's always accompanied, the sight of a horse and buggy is always accompanied by the muffled sound of me going, fuck! <laughs> driver's seat. I always feel so terrible because, it, you know, there's the horse. I'm like, I don't want to get too close to that horse, but I also want to die in a head-on collision on this fucking backwoods, <laughs> you know, Pennsylvania road where there's no shoulder. Oh, we should tell the convention story from Philcon with the Amish question. Remind me. All right. So real quick, complete non sequitur, but I'm telling it anyway, because this always <laughs> amuses me. So we, uh, Nick, his wife, and another friend of ours went to a convention called Philcon, which is a hard sci-fi convention near here. Real deep down sci-fi authors, you know. And one of the people there was Tim Powers, who is a favorite author of mine, because mm. uh, as we've established, I'm a huge fucking nerd. So we decided we were going to go sit in a panel, and we walked in, and when we sat down, a woman had just started her question. And this question went on, no lie, 10 minutes. Yep. You know, and it was hard to kind of follow the plot with the question, but it was great watching the four authors on the panel try very because they're trying to be polite trying to be attentive and you can just see their eyes just going you know their rate of blinking by the end of this question was probably you know a thousand times more than normal <laughs> and the, the question the gist of the question was largely about the morality of power and it, it was a story about an amish person not getting assaulted because they had no power and the person who did the assault saw a light on in their neighbor's house so went to that house and they were talking about, you know, whether that that's a, an evil of technology or something. You had 10 minutes and this was a while ago, but this is memorable. And by the end of it, Tim Powers is just sitting up there and she stops and he doesn't like know that she has asked her question because it's not obvious. <laughs> and finally he says, oh, you're done. And she goes, yeah, what do you think? And he just stands there and stares for it had to be, it felt like it four minutes but it was probably like 10 seconds and he, he you know he gamely gives it a shot and she ends up clarifying because he's not close 
uh. to what she was talking about. You know, he took a shot. You know, it, it was it was just as fun. now. Maybe this amuses me more than anybody. Can you imagine going to a panel? And this there was like fifteen people in the audience for this, and this lady asks a ten minute question. It was wild. And look, if we ever end up at a panel at a convention, this is my dream. Some listener come in and ask a fucking essay question. I can't wait. <laughs> So you can give them the Mark Avanier. Is there a question in here? (laughs) (laughs) Question! (laughs) Anyway, in retrospect, that might not be a great story, but I think it's wonderful. So here it is on the podcast. If you know Tim Powers' work, it's very funny, because if there's anyone who theoretically would be equipped to answer, you know, a long scattershot, you know, multi-pronged question, it'd be Tim Powers. But I was thinking about this, this entire movie, and especially one particular scene later. You know, the big reveal scene, such as it is. Well, we're, we're introduced to a new character in the next scene, which would be Jacob. Hey, the elder. Yeah. Jacob is played by Tom Nowicki from The Dark and the Wicked, The Punisher, and The Waterboy. That dude is in a lot of stuff. Yeah, and if he's terrific in this, but it, you know, if again, if they're transitioning away from a found footage format, because, you know, again, found footage folks tend to cast unknowns again to lend to this air of authenticity. You know, you don't recognize the folks or whatever. It's like, if, if we're going to, to more like just general cinematics, I mean, cast Clancy Brown. We yes. just got done talking about the yes. mortuary collection. <laughs> but this actor is terrific. That holds true for every single movie. Oh, yeah. Just go ahead and cast Clancy. Every Brown. movie should have more Clancy Brown. You know, Jacob is the Amish elder comes out, has an exchange with Samuel. We're not privy to the dialogue. Yeah, but it's pretty clear what he's saying. It's essentially just boils down to fuck. No, <laughs> <laughs> which makes no sense given None the big reveal. at all it makes no sense the second the first time through i wasn't really thinking about obviously because i didn't know the reveal and i didn't go back and think but the second time through i was like hold up wait a minute <laughs> this makes no sense why would they turn them away they may not know they're coming right away but they haven't swept yet yeah <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's purely hospitality has nothing to do with any of the supernatural asmodeus shit it shit the shoe fly fly is still in the oven <laughs> given what we know about it, it spoilers one of the th- one of the big re- fucking i'm just gonna look the big reveal is that they've been tracking her they know it there's a closet in jacob's room that has a bunch of computer stuff and you know an internet and all the you know the the most quiet computer of all time. The most Amish of computers. The most, oh, yeah, very Amish laptop. It's even got his full name and the login yeah. and everything. So so this dude has a fucking Microsoft ID, and it makes no sense given that they've been tracking her and they lured her here. That when she gets there, they're like, "Nah, fuck off." Here is the, Try again tomorrow. Like it doesn't change. Like it doesn't make her more convinced that they're real. That they it, she just because she's all in no matter what. You know, instead they go to a hotel and they wait for the kid to show up. So what they do is they send him away and then send a kid to basically go get him to come back. I'm like, all you had to do was lock the fucking door. And if the upstairs room was in a different state or whatever, you know, it's just it makes no sense that you you do all of this to lure her here. The second she gets there, she's you're like, nah, fuck off, man. Doesn't jive. Doesn't fly. Nope. It's always a fun thing, you know, when you're watching the movie for the first time, like, and you spend so much of a horror movie, obviously feeling out you know nebulous intent and it's like oh is this a clue to something is, is you know, who's on the up and up who's not and then yeah the rewatch is like wait a minute yeah so it and there's there's another big one we'll get to but that was one of the first things that was a real it really it bugged me on the second viewing 
and Jacob basically says, we don't hear him say it, but it says GTFO. Samuel gets back in the car and says, well, and we cut to the what I thought was the most terrifying part of the whole movie, which was the brief glimpse we get of the motel floor. <laughs> that was fucking horrifying. There's so much goddamn debris on that carpet. <laughs> and the ceiling's all, you know, water damaged and whatnot. It was, and it feels like the whole thing was just a setup for the, the lines. You know, why didn't you call ahead? They're Amish. They don't have a phone. Like, that's the big payoff to this whole sequence? That's it. And a jump scare with a kid in the window? Just to remind you they're Amish and what that means. That's it. You know, and then the, the, the jump scare, which is the first jump scare of the movie, which is always a false jump scare. And it, it's just, it's like, I, the whole sequence felt unnecessary. Yeah, Eli pops into the window and the, like there's the first jump scare. And this is another one of our format shifts because it's scored. Other jump scares and other paranormal activity films have happened and would be the sound would be something diegetic, you know, something falling or see you know, a footstep, yeah. you know, a diegetic sound effect or a scream, something like that. Yep. But in this, there is a distinct boo sound effect that it is clearly you know added later. And again, all this shit that doesn't make sense. The Carlsbad Police Department has no jurisdiction in this movie, but I'm still <laughs> chalking this up to the Carl, like someone in the Carlsbad Police, the same dude who cleaned up the footage in Paranormal Activity 3 has retired and bought himself a Native Instruments Complete Control A49 <laughs> keyboard and has gotten really into amateur composing. And he's like, yeah, I've really been into those James Wan movies, you know, and every time there's a scare, it goes, goo goo. So I'm going to put some of that shit in here. <laughs> Because, yeah, it's a very, you know, or, or like, you know, the Andy Muschietti It movies. When there's a scare. We we ought to start a, a regular feature of a counter every time we insult the uh, Conjuring universe. That wasn't a dig! <laughs> that was a statement of fact! There is a noise that goes, goo goo, when there's a scare. It's true. Yep. How do you feel about those loud noises, Eric? Uh, underwhelming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're going to have a debate when we get to The Conjuring, though. There's something that I'm going to defend about those films. So I'm excited to see this. So, the Carlsbad police officer scares us, and they're like, oh, shit, random kid, driving back. Now, Jacob says, oh, shit, thank you for bringing our kid back. Uh, I'll let you stay. And and Margo says that specifically. Jacob pulls her aside, and Margo says, oh, yeah, since we brought Eli back as a thank you, they're going to let us stay for a couple days. They settle into the rooms. For the first night i do want to quickly note that jacob's disappointment with this film is mildly surprising because in this very first scene at the house there's a scene where they specifically discuss appropriate bed sizes <laughs> because there's a scene where they're talking to dale about you sleep on a full <laughs> i was like jake ghost wrote this <laughs> i did appreciate that aspect of this that everybody was on an appropriate size bed or that the bed sizes made sense because obviously dale wasn't on an appropriate size bed but dale was you know six eight so he wasn't going to get one of those in amish country yep and for night one this is where we also get the first appearance of the red lanterns not the core from the dc comics but <laughs> red lanterns or the original costume from the baltimore comic-con <laughs> All con anecdotes this pod. Not even going to explain that joke, people. Ask us about that one at a con, and we'll tell that with the Keith Giffen <laughs> stuff, <laughs> where the Giffen School of Filmmaking comes from. So we get the brief scrums of the Red Lanterns outside, but otherwise the first night is generally uneventful. Now here's a bit, again, where the movie is, again, I, I think deliberately 
playing with expectations where it does something that throws you out of the format and then acknowledges it. Some of them, I, I bristled, like, I'm I'm not overly keen on, on the way they did the slow-mo one, because again, that is a big, you know, this is coming, and the signal about things that are coming down the road. But one I liked was we get random B-roll shots of Dawn, where it's just random shots of, you know, the Dawn coming over and random shots of the farm. And I was thinking, oh, that's some cool B-roll they got. That's really fun. And then the very first line for Chris is, I got some cool B-roll this morning. I was like, that's awesome. That was really funny that he said it immediately after. I was like, yeah, nice B-roll. So, all right, so the very next scene, they ask Samuel about the lights in the trees. And he says, it's bears. They were out hunting bears. Now, I, <laughs> I, wanna, I want to acknowledge this. What is the one fucking thing everybody knows about bears in the winter they sleep that you can take them in a fight the- <laughs> what are the two fucking things? <laughs> again there's gonna be a lot of recurring jokes in this <laughs> no the one thing every single human being knows about bears is that they hibernate in winter and this guy drops yeah they're out hunting bears because bears get violent in winter no they fucking don't they go to bed. <laughs> Everybody knows that. And these people are like, oh, yeah, violent winter bears. And it, nothing, nothing. It's like, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> just fucking say wolves, shithead. <laughs> it just, it bugged me so That bugged me the first time through. Oh, it's bears. Bitch, it's snowing. <laughs> They're asleep. You know, and I look, I understand on a conceptual level that, yes, not every bear hibernates in there, you know, but they don't get violent. They got fat. So that they can get through the winter. Oh, it, they're very lethargic in the winter. Yes, right. Even when they're out and about, it is not violent bear season in the fucking dead of winter in upstate New York. And the people should know that. I don't care if you're from Arizona, man. If you're from Arizona, the one bear you know is Yogi Bear. He sleeps. <laughs> wow, I got hot about that. That was even more annoying. My notes are kind of mean about that one too. I ain't gonna read them. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Well, let's cool ourselves down with some Fruit Loop breakfast, which is the next sequence. Is everyone enjoying some Fruit Loops? Followed by the tour of the farm. This is where we get again the the harbinger of the climax sequence with whoop trap door. Ah. <laughs> where we also get Margot's conversation with some of the other young Amish women there, and there's particularly introduced to a character by the name of Clara, who you know, is coming with the tea about Margot's parents and letting know that Margot's father was an outsider, purportedly Englishman. That's it. That's like, you know, that's all you get of him. He is not important to the plot. Yeah, Jacob mentions him later, so he wouldn't tell us who it was. You know, and it's like, all right, fine. Who gives a shit? But I I thought it was funny that they spent some time introducing the detail that all those girls are 16. Because the first time I watched through, it was like, that that seems like something that might be important. Well, viewer, it's not. Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) And on to dinner. All right, so let me let me throw something else that annoyed me about this movie that's completely not its fault. The food looks goddamn delicious. Yes, it does. I've been on a diet for five months. <laughs> just, every time they were eating mashed potatoes, I wanted to punch a wall. Moving on. You're going to be really irked at something I'm about to do in probably about 30 minutes. But <laughs> I can't wait. But no, this is where we get the dinner sequence. and This is where they're singing. Jesus word come in. Jesus word come in. Jesus will come in, in German. Yep. It's original song, too, written by Jasper Randall and Peter Rotter of Encompass Creative LLC. Because I was trying to see if it was, I was like, I'm guessing that's an original, but maybe it's not. And 
I have a little snapshot from the credits here of it. The reason I'm bringing this up is just random anecdote. But if you get past the ending credits, of this movie I, I quite enjoyed. We yeah. have the throwback to the artwork, and they you know they do the red blue lighting on the fonts, just mirroring the police lights at the end. But when you get to the bit where all that stuff ends, and you get to the actual scroll, the font choice and the light blue they go with, or sort of pastel blue. It feels very Star Wars end credits, so it's weird not hearing like Ray's theme playing over you know these credits as they scroll by. Them singing in German is going to become sort of important later. Like, there's a lot of stuff where they all speak German and they communicate in German, although nobody speaks it to each other to you know keep secrets or anything in front of these people. <laughs> but distinctly, there's a sign that's in German later, and then there's a detail after that that we'll get into that annoyed me. So after the dinner, we get night two or the start of it, because the generator craps out during the night. And this is where we get another Eli jump scare. <laughs> and again, the Carlsbad Police Department coming in with adding noises, because as soon as the scarecrow appears, <laughs> followed by Chris's bitch-ass scarecrow as he, <laughs> <clocks> it. <laughs> he punches it out. That was like, I did appreciate that. Whack! <laughs> I, I like that they kind of explained the Eli jump scare later, sort of. We'll get to that. That's that evening's excursion. Then we get the glimpse into Dale's Amish wardrobe. And then we get the slow-mo demonstration, which we touched on a little bit earlier. Which, if you've seen the trailer, much like the shot of the kids singing, this shot's in the trailer of you know, kids doing, you know, essentially ring around the rosy in slow motion. And Chris pointing out, you know, this, oh yeah, this picks up a bunch of frames at one time. You know, it's more than the human eyes can see. It's going to be really important in the third act, but not really. <laughs> It's for one shot. Two. They spend all this two. One important one. <laughs> Even that. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the slow motion stuff adds nothing to this. Nothing. It's one shot, honestly, that is mildly interesting. It's not enough to sell it as a gag or a gimmick. The shot with the kids is fine because, again, that whole bit is a little bit ominous. It's just, it doesn't really go anywhere. It's the, the, the kid later with the doll where the kids actually get real ominous. Yeah, well, this is where we come up on that, too. The kid with the, the Sarah doll, which Sarah being the name of Margot's mother. And, you know, the allusion to, you know, she's still here. What? Peace. <laughs> some ominous vague shit. Bye. What do you suppose they meant? But now we get into kind of the more traditional paranormal activity night sequence, kind of. <sighs> which is Margot hearing a thump in the night. And it's established earlier that there's a door adjacent to where they're staying that is padlocked. One of the things I liked at the big, you know, by virtue of being in this Amish community, the padlocks are fucking massive. So it's it's a great optic, you know, when they bar something in this film that's massive, fucking like wrought iron locks. So, but suddenly this room is unlocked. So this scene, first watch through, I liked it. This was the most paranormal activity feeling scene on the first watch through agreed which is why it doesn't fit <laughs> the second watch through it f and continues to infuriate me because it doesn't make any sense at all nope in this film not one lick nope nothing that happens up to unless it's a separate ghost doesn't make any sense because again this entity is currently trapped in a person and is only having mild release. It's affecting like the livestock. It's, it's affecting those who are clearly kind of in a dementia state. It's not 
taking a fucking nap on the bed. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I established in the previous episode, episode two, way back that what I wanted was we made the reference about doing the ghost dimension effect, going back and doing it to all the other movies to see Toby just sitting around, you know, piddling about the house and doing, you know, random shit. So I love the fact that Toby just randomly gets, oh, I put my fucking feet up and gets on the goddamn cot in this. It's Asmodeus, <laughs> but I'm just going to call it Toby in this. Except it can't. Right. <laughs> because it is very specifically trapped in her mom. That's the entire big reveal and the point of this film is that this entity is trapped. It can leak out influence. It, it's starting starts to, to leak affect, at this point, yeah. That it starts to affect the weak and the, the, the infirm, which is why you get the lady peeling her hand and, you know, Eli wandering around at night. But it can't physically take action. They're very specific about that. Like, that, that because it's contained is their whole purpose, is to, like, right. keep it from doing weird shit. So what's stomping around in the attic? What's up there knocking out drawers and lying on beds that Jacob sees and runs away from? What's up there? Because it can't be Asmodeus. It, when you see that you get the jump scare where she's looking out the window and the face shows up and it can't be her mom. Her mom is a physical entity. The whole end sequence of this is them being chased by a physical entity that is holding a demonic entity. I'm going to keep really harping on the word entity because I'm mad. <laughs> so this scene makes zero sense in the context of this film. It's it, There's nothing wrong with the scene itself, removed from everything else. Like I said, it's the most paranormal activity feeling bit in the entire movie. Although it but goes that's on why it's broken. That's why it doesn't fit the rest of the film. Yeah, I, I, I had chalked it up between two things. Well, one, between the vessel starting to fail, obviously, with Sarah. My notes is Sarah Modius starting to feel it as part of the leaking out. But also, I mean, there seems to clearly be some sort of like initial step process to Asmodeus acclimating to a potential new vessel because of the bits that happened in the successive night. So I just took it as potentially people, this bloodline are an exception and can interact with them directly. I mean, if it's, if you, it's loose, but that was what I chalked it up to. Yeah, I, I, none of it made sense to me in the, in within the. I feel like Nick here within the rules that this movie establishes. Oh, oh no! Team Yay! patterns. Team patterns has fallen. Team <laughs> patterns has become team rules. Well, because it's not even a pattern. It doesn't make any sense in any context. But also, <laughs> why is the closet hidden behind the dresser? How does that make any sense? It so doesn't. they put this. Yeah. yeah, there's the little picture of the devil in there. Oh, we moved this in front of it because we didn't want to see it. Just fucking erase the picture. Why is there a picture of, the, of Asmodeus in the back of the closet anyway? That is, I think, a mirror to what's on the ceiling later. But which, again, is there not so much for Margot, but for the viewer. And also, I think the depiction mirrors, you know, again, the yeah, art that, one can that. argue that it's clearly something that's gone down the family lines. So they have some connection to it, you know, and that's fine. Well, right. But why is it hidden in a closet? If they, Why does any why do they give a shit? I don't know. You uh, know, if they were worried about her finding it, so they moved to just clean up the picture. What do you need the picture there? It's not like a historical document. Nope. I, so, yeah, it's just so little. And again, first time through, eh, it's a fun scene. Second time through, it's like everything about this makes me mad. <laughs> like if you're gonna have big reveals and big twists in the thing they should be big reveals and big twists based on the movie you're watching yep but nope so yeah it just it it, it really bothered me on the, the second it just 
it. Yeah. From a practical plot perspective, the only bits of this that kind of directly play in is is Margot finds a letter from her mother hidden, and it's a letter from her mother saying essentially, you know, your crazy cold ass can't have my baby. I'm going to take my baby far away from you. And so the main plot function of the scene is to establish creepy shit happening around around Margot, and then also to establish Margot's distrust of Jacob and everyone else here. I just think it would have been a more effective a scene without the ghost shit in it that oh, yeah. doesn't make sense in the context. Just have it be Jacob coming up there, you know? I just and and the scene the face you see in the mirror is the face of her mom down in the pit. Yeah. And you know, her mom down in the pit who is neither invisible or incorporeal. <laughs> so yeah, you know, so yeah, great jump scare. And they they look at it in the morning and they're like, "Yeah, well, what is that? It looks like a face." Well, yeah. Uh, it's just sloppy and it doesn't work. It's very jarring from the rest of the film. Clearly, it doesn't work if Team Patterns is falling. I can't get over that, man. <laughs> this franchise really is dead, apparently. Holy shit. <laughs> Jacob is just it's like fucking Gary Oldman in the opening scene of Dracula when he here finds out his wife is dead. I curse you! He's just <laughs> coming up in his halter and stabbing it and fucking. <laughs> I will become that which you hate! <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the dark side. Next episode, Jake's gonna be all withered. Like, <laughs> we found footage, fans. Have a right to be proud. Oh man! <laughs> I I feel like this is a good moment to remind people I didn't actually hate this movie. So just throwing that in. No, not yet. <laughs> but, <laughs> by the time we're done, so next morning we get the interview scene where they finally get. Jacob to sit down, talk about Margot's mother, and explain, you know, yeah, she was shunned. She, you know, had alludes to her having just you know, a rough upbringing, and she Margot very quickly confronts Jacob about the letter, which is what brings about the shunning. So awkward interview bit. The shunning. Do you want to get sued? <laughs> <laughs> and we talked about the drone earlier. So this is where the drone factors into a practical plot point because the drone discovers the church. The church, which is far away now and inexplicably much closer later. <laughs> <laughs> it is a short trip. Which is appropriate because the writing on, speaking of far, the writing on the door, so weit nicht weiter, is so far, no further. And which, again, big ass padlock. They're picking it. Jacob shows up and says, WTF, get back to eat. Yeah, he is shockingly chill about catching them mid lock picking. <laughs> like, hey! Go eat. Well, he knows. He knows she's gonna end up in there later. No awkward dinner. Sausages, right? Because he's just when he has the line of it. You know, oh, what are we having for lunch? Is it sausages? Is that offensive? Uh, <laughs> Which was one of the few lines that did make me laugh and want sausages. Amish food is good, y'all. Amish food I is. I, I, oh, yeah. I love the donuts. donuts. Amish food is good yes. as shit. Yes, good ass donuts. So the Red Lanterns return in the evening, but this time accompanied by sounds of animals shrieking. And it was oh, let's go investigate this shit. And we get this gets grody. Yeah, this is where we get a bit of you know, see everyone. There's a goat giving birth off screen, and but we see the offspring, which is a two headed goat. Man, that's just twice the fun, man. I fucking love goats. You give me a two headed goat, I don't even care if it stands at high ends and wants me to eat butter, man. I'm all in. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> it wants you to eat butter. <laughs> Wasn't 
there? I haven't seen The Witch in a long time. I know he offers oh, her an apple, but when he says, yeah. "Would she like to live deliciously?" Is it there? Yeah. Doesn't oh, he say something a about butter? To butter. I can't remember the yeah. exact line. Yeah. So, I forget the exact butter. line. Yeah. Anyway, to be very blatant about it, I was referencing the Vivitch. That's a good movie. I like that one. I love goats. Yeah. Animates. This is where we get. We touched on it briefly earlier. Kind of the the, the vague prophecy bits. This is where we get the illusion from one of the community members who's talking to Jake said it's starting to spread first the children then the old mm-hmm. see the old peel in her hands like potato yep that scene was rough man I that didn't was like that. that was that was a little nasty I peel a lot of vegetables man and it's, just, it's not a good <laughs> feeling I've done that with my hand by accident it sucks it's worse than when you when you can imagine accidentally doing it to yourself <laughs> like oh that's too real I have too to real imagine it. I've done it <laughs> it hurts <laughs> don't take your eyes off the carrot is what I'm saying Next morning, Samuel is evasive about Margot's pressing questions. Stop asking fucking questions. And <laughs> they decide they need a distraction, and the best distraction is for Dale to perform horse hijinks. <laughs> he really is the comic relief. <laughs> I'm going to get on this horse. Okay. And then it's like, oh, it's, it's gone. <laughs> Adios, motherfucker. Wow. How you stop this thing? <laughs> Wonder how they would have gotten in the church if the horse didn't go anywhere. Slap it on the ass. Horse is like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm out of ideas. Plan B is punch Samuel. <laughs> <laughs> Tell him the horse kicked him when he wakes up. I don't fucking know. Just give him a blanket party out back. Then we'll go see what's in the church. <laughs> so horse hijinks ensue. Margo and Chris break into the church. And... Fun set piece. You know, the church does not have any pews, but it has a badass pulpit. Yeah, it does. It's a, it's a baptismal font. That's with all the, the indents around there. As you can see the pool, too. It's it's functionally a Catholic baptismal font with the statues. Around. It's impressive. Yeah, it's very cool. And this is where we get the five images around it. That explain the plot of the movie. Yep. Here's a question about those. Mm-hmm. Why are they in English? Everything else is in German. All the signs, <laughs> oh, yeah, all the good art, point. the singing. Why are they in English? Because you need to be able to read them. Because you need to them. be able to read them, yeah. And it's just, it's so awkward. It's like, oh, these are in English. Vaguely old English, too. Even though they all speak fucking German. The sign on the church is in German. The kids are singing in German. There's the one that just says Asmodeus. That could be German. Sure, we'll give you that one. Although I think that's... One out of five, I can make a game. <laughs> I think that's technically Babylonian, but... Uh, ah, it's German. <laughs> it was just one of those things. I'm like, oh, English, what the fuck? Wait, what? Yeah, in sequence, it's Asmodeus. We must stay vigilant for the evil spread amongst us. The young and the weak will suffer first. Less sacrifices be made. And missing the sixth one that says, everybody got that? Like space <laughs> it's balls. Just, it's like having the storyboards in the film. Yeah. You know? Yes. It's like here's, here's the, the here's the storyboard and sequence of the last ten minutes of this movie. Pay attention. <laughs> and it's it's really obvious that this is the sequence of the story. It gives you that one where everybody's fighting. I'm like, you know that's gonna happen. It's in English too, so you read that it's gonna happen. It's just <laughs> <laughs> like I, I'm always watching found footage movies for something clever. I like it when they do something interesting and clever. And that's the big part I had with this movie, is this is the opposite of clever. It's very blatant, very blunt, and it, again, it's not a bad movie per se. Like, I didn't hate it. It's just so meh right there. And this was one of the things that I had a problem with was, again, these being English, but also these these five things laying out the entire plot of the movie very blatantly. 
It's lazy. Like that that's some some James Wan conjuring shit right there. It's like, you know, we we could have a- <laughs> <laughs> James Low blow. Wow. <laughs> it's coming in hard tonight. I can't bring myself to admit that I'm now team rules instead of team pattern. I'm just going to channel my hate to James Wan. <laughs> Shannon almost made us watch Lignant last week. So, you know, I, I'm back oh, on that kick. <laughs> Love it. Love it. So in the midst of discovering these paintings on the floor, they discover what all churches have a wench built into the <laughs> and say, well, this is peculiar. Then discover the blood stains around the pulpit, push the pulpit out of the fucking way. And then we get the big cylindrical shaft chasm. It's so random. <laughs> it's like they went out of their way to go, like, how can we make this a sub-basement but, like, creepy? <laughs> I know. We'll make it a random 200-foot drop. <laughs> uh, Yeah, I dug it because, A, it sets up a scene that, absolutely needs a goofy yell in the third act (laughs) but it's in terms of like a found footage setting it's kind of a cool thing you know going through a tight shaft area it it kind of reminds me of another found footage movie i can't name because nick hasn't seen it we're going to do one on the pod at some point but yeah i thought it was fun made for some fun you know tension for claustrophobia i thought it should be bigger uh yeah for the amount of stuff that presumably has to transit through yeah also, when you have somebody who's, you know, could conceivably like reach out and yeah, yeah, like, and like just when somebody falls down that to die, like it would be hard for that to happen. Like when an adult sized human based on the, the size of the shaft that they show. Yeah, I thought the same thing I was like, you could conceivably, you know, just I mean, it's uneven, but yeah, you could just it, it's absolutely less than arm's breadth wide. So, yeah, you could just yeah. you know, but also, it wouldn't be that difficult for something to climb out of it. Well, there are, as they pass through it, the series of crucifixes about halfway down that appear, which, as we find out later, don't do shit. Nope, <laughs> not a damn thing. Completely meaningless. But it is a very cool visual. Ornamental. And I thought it was a very cool visual. It also reminded me of Nerve Headquarters in Evangelion. Nice. When you go in the bells, it's like, oh, now they're passing. We're entering Terminal Dogma, which made me also <laughs> think of this movie as Paranormal Activity Rebuild 4.0 plus 3.0. You cannot change angles. If you've seen Evangelion Rebuild and you get that, please DM us. Someone <laughs> has to get that joke. But yeah, so they see this went to going into a shaft and Margot's response is. Fuck yeah! <laughs> Dibs on going down first! Was this your too stupid to live moment, Jake? Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Jacob is not a fox to give. These characters are too stupid to live. <laughs> when I when I said I was watching it, I mentioned that the movie had a just a huge too stupid to live moment. This was it. Like, hey, you know, all kinds of weird shit's going on. Now oh, these people might be dangerous. I'm just going to lower myself slowly into the pit of despair. Let's go down the pit. Oh, God. I like to think, you know, the, the guy's first thought was, I got to get out of this place. This lady's trying to kill herself. <laughs> yep. Yeah, she gets as far as just cresting kind of the, the ceiling of it to peek around a bit. Here's creepy noises and, and decides she chose poorly and... and gets pulled the fuck back up well she says i think i can see something but there's nothing there to see other than the you know the the mine gate 
Yeah, there's someone planks and stuff. Yeah, like from a like a mine shaft. Yeah, I thought that like there might be something in the background, but I couldn't find anything. No, there's some screenshots later that I where I took a screenshot and like played with the brightness and contrast, but that was for the monster effects. I didn't do anything during this, but but yeah, uh, that's a harbinger where we're going later. So they get back. Chris has an, an iPad Pro where they're looking at the footage. Uh, uh, there's some weird fucking noises on there, but at this point, car battery dies. Van is relocated to the barn. Margo uses this as a window of time to search the fuck out of Jacob's room and finds his computer nook in his closet. It just just does not fit any of this. Uh, it uh. yeah has a little alcove with you know notepad, computer, router, and. Oreo cookies, <laughs> which was my favorite thing, and I can't tell what flavor they were. These are Thin Mint varieties, but they got this little seal on top. That shit was all the way back. That flap was all the way out of the way. They were stale as fuck. Somebody <laughs> needs to tell Jacob. I don't know if this was his first Oreo experience, but you, you got to seal that shit, man. They do not last that long nope. <laughs> in open air. And also, Amish people use computers. Like, that's not out of the realm like that's the thing that they do really so it's like this big yeah it's so it's this big reveal that kind of is like well you're 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 assuming nobody in this movie knows anything about bears but they also don't know anything about amish so i which probably most of the country doesn't you know outside of like witness but it was one of those things it's like yeah it's okay that i have a computer i mean i guess it's you know hidden for this but anyway (laughs) Did anyone pause it to look at the stuff on the computer? No, I was too busy laughing that he had a Microsoft ID. I saw it like it was basically just an email exchange with Samuel saying, Hey, I found her. Yeah, it says any word on Margot yet? We had her somewhere around the greater Phoenix area. God bless. Uh I've sent a wire for your living expenses in Phoenix. Hopefully you track her down soon. I needn't express how concerned we are for her return. Subject line following up on our lead. I tried to make out what the, all the folders are in his desktop. I couldn't make them out. Like one says backups. And, you know, one looks like it's probably like a research thing. But in the sidebar, (laughs) he's got seven emails, unread emails in his inbox. And then starred, snoozed, and all that stuff is all zeroed out. He has over a thousand emails in his drafts folder. Holy shit. Over 1,000 emails in his drafts. <laughs> I missed that. Oh, my God. So Jacob is very clearly very particular about how he constructs his emails. So when he <laughs> writes, Sam, any word on Margot yet? We had her somewhere around the greater Phoenix area. God bless Jacob. There were about 150, 200 drafts of that before he settled <laughs> on that exact version, probably. <laughs> I just got the biggest fucking laugh out of that because I was like, what? Did he not empty his recycling bin? You know, did he not empty his trash? But I pulled up. It is the drafts folder. Wow. That, that is a fascinating choice. He's really wishy-washy about emailing his crush. <laughs> <laughs> Margo sees the shit, goes down to tell Chris, I found some fucked up shit. <laughs> Where Jacob then you know, jumps in, you know, everything all right? You better not have fucked up my words with friends games. <laughs> you know, Margo is dismayed by this, wants to get the fuck out. And Chris says, well, can't get a new car battery overnight. So we'll just ride out one more night and then we'll get a new battery in the morning. What could possibly happen between now and then? Wow. wow. So 
this is the night where Margot is attacked very directly by Asmodeus slash Toby. One thing the movie did that I thought was interesting was at least establishing the the why no one else intervenes or you know no one else hears it but they're very clearly like an aoe sleep effect going on no. for everyone but margo <laughs> so i appreciated that it was like yeah there's, there's some supernatural shit and that's why only margo is subject to this doesn't make sense otherwise no. but sure <laughs> the, the paintings clearly say what happens is everybody gets violent not sleepy nope again i'm, I'm just hand waving this is um yeah again vessel shit uh, particularly because what happens in this sequence. Yeah, it gives her the cartoon treatment. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, like, I, I again, I'm, I'm assuming this is, like, stage one of a process of, like, luring Toby slash Asmodeus into a new vessel was what I chalked it Priming up Priming the vessel? Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is, again, one of the more traditional paranormal activity-esque bits. We get, you know, the night vision camera, whatever. The, roar. the horror of it is kind of undercut by the Foley effect, because there is another jump scare here. There's, you know, an unseen Toby scare on Margot, where Toby's roar is... <laughs> just <laughs> like a basset hound or something. And it's just... I got a big chuckle out of it. Maybe it is. Maybe it's Toby hanging around messing with him until Asmodeus wakes up so he and Asmodeus can go on, you know, their fucking Blues Brothers road trip. Maybe there's two demons. That would explain everything. Good solution. <laughs> Good solution. The next morning, Margot is found in a borderline hypnotized state with blood on, on a mattress, on her person. Uh, one of the better shots of the film, I thought, is when, when Chris is trying to talk to her, he sets the camera down. And when he sets the camera down, it gets an angle of the ceiling, and you can see the blood smears on the ceiling. It's not just a blood smear, though. It's got a goddamn footprint in it. Nope. <laughs> like some shit went down. <laughs> yeah. One of the more, like, quietly and effectively creepy bits of the movie. So they call in a doctor, or someone who claims to be a doctor, and this is weird. Oh, unusually severe menstrual cycle. Which, thankfully, they instantly call bullshit on. <laughs> like, oh, fuck this. Chris and Dale hitch a ride with a postal service guy in town. We're doing a documentary on Amish people. Baylor's ain't Amish. I, did, I, I like that. That made me laugh. Baylor's not Amish. I know Amish, and they're not Amish. What the fuck are they? Yep. From there, he drops them off at an auto shop. I assumed Jake liked this scene, but I, I, my life is a fucking lie now that he's team <laughs> rules. But the reason I thought he liked it, which is, did you look at the cash register? No. Top shelf. Chuckles. Oh, no shit. Chuckles. There are chuckles at the cash register. <laughs> Your favorite. Oh, that's awesome. I did not. Now I want to watch it again just for the chuckles. Good and plenty's underneath. <laughs> so it's uh, one I had a lot growing up. But chuckles on top. Chuckles are awesome. I get so much abuse for liking chuckles, but everybody is just wrong, man. They're delicious. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. See? See, people? This is what I put up with every day. You're not my real dad. Again. <laughs> Jacob sitting there. I bet even James Wan in his cold, dead heart. Even <laughs> his heart might grow three sizes if he ate some chocolate. <laughs> James Wan probably likes Milky Way bars. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so the dude cashier says, all right, I'm going to go look for a car battery for you in the back. They very bravely say, hey, can we use your computer? He's like, ah, go ahead, you know, don't search anything weird. They promptly search Asmodeus. 
<laughs> which is better than searching the hand as it happened in Faust Love of the Damned, which we talked about. my first thought of this. Oh, man. Comes right up. There's also a fun exchange here. Where, well, what am I supposed to search? Fake Amish people or something? <laughs> and they come across the second hit, which is for a website called The Numinous Chronicle, and which has, you know, miscellaneous bits and bobs about Asmodeus again setting up the mythology and all stuff that's going to be pertinent to the third act. All stuff that was already hinted at earlier in the film. Talking about... Hinted at? Fucking straight up told to you. Yep. Yeah, main bit is here is that basically Asmodeus ran amok and the villagers had to bring in the White Witch and bind him to a female vessel. And that was the only way to presumably solve the problem. This movie is as subtle as a sledgehammer. <laughs> this is... The Numinous Chronicle is the second hit on their Google search when they do this. Now, when I Google search Asmodeus, my second hit is Asmodeus was the Faerunian deity of indulgence and ruler of all devils. Asmodeus was a patron of oppression and power, the greatest devil, then the Lord of the ninth and overlord of the nine hells as a whole. It's the fucking forgotten realms wiki. I didn't realize <laughs> Asmodeus was a demon that had been repurposed for forgotten realms. Yep. That's so when awesome. they're leaving, I expected the cashier to call, yo, y'all play D&D, 5th edition? <laughs> what classes? <laughs> Got room around the table for one more, are you interested? <laughs> they return to the, <laughs> to the community, and shit is quiet. Most folks are either missing or hold up. Mary, who's there at the compound, they see her ducking behind the door, and Samuel's milling about and says cryptic shit. And he says specifically, again, alluding to the Asmodeus stuff we just talked about, he says, women are the most powerful creatures on earth, givers of life. That is why our sisters bear this burden. They're the only ones strong enough to hold him back. And then the bell rings and he says, you better get the fuck back behind something that's got a lock on it. Peace. And no, what he says is don't come out till the bell stops ringing. And then the bell stops ringing. The bell sound effect is not continuous in this scene. Is it just a single chime? It, does it chime just the once? It goes a couple of times and then it, it stops. And then it doesn't start again later until they're they're coming out and it starts, you know, going real fast. The bell is not ringing during this entire sequence. Nope. That should have been the scene then. You don't come out till the bell stops ringing. It dongs twice and, okay, you can come out now. <laughs> it's a real quick ritual. It, it doesn't take very long at all. Very breezy. Dong, dong. We're done. Thank you for playing. Good night. So, beeline for the church, because assume that's where Margot must be. And Jacob is there with a goddamn pump action. Not even, you know, like the rustic, like, two-shot one. Fucking pump action shotgun. Because <laughs> we see the rustic two-shot one, because that's one of my favorite shots coming up. And Jacob's, you know, don't intervene, tussle between him and Chris, wrangles the gun away. Jacob half falls into the chasm. And then goes the rest of the way down. <laughs> Fly, you fools. It's a rough landing. It's very rough. Go see he, it. Just... he does not look well at the bottom. Which he could have stopped himself. Jacob's a big dude, man. Just stick your arms out and you're cool. Yeah, your hands will get fucked up. But yeah, just press. And, That's better uh, than what happens to you. Feet first. You got shoes on. Dude got turned into a bowl of SpaghettiOs at the bottom of his pit. Oh, oh. You can at least like slow your, your momentum. Yeah. Turn into ravioli instead. Chris goes down solo, like no one manning the winch at this point, just goes down. Somehow. Somehow. Yeah. No idea how he's going to get out. And at this point, the Carlsbad Police Department has licensed Danny Morricone's score for the thing, because as he's going down, it's do, 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 do. It's just a single synth. 
Chris intervenes in, in the middle of who we assume is you know the White Witch or the you know equivalent thereof. This 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 White Witch puts up no fight. Nope. He just rolls in and says at the way, and she's like the salt. Ah! Yeah, he walks in and and is screaming, and you know she's obviously continuing the ritual as she should. But the way it plays out, it feels like in a video game. When you've come in, it's like, you got to wait for this. It's not quite a cutscene. It's halfway between the cutscenes. It's like, you got to wait for it to play out before yep. you do it. You can shoot your gun at as many NPCs as you want. <laughs> Nothing's going to happen until the dialogue is done. I like that the, the salt, like, she's like, oh, no, the salt. And that's the big payoff to them having a closet full of salt upstairs that they very distinctly introduced earlier in the movie. In the alcove, yeah. Doesn't mean anything. They don't mention salt ringing. It's like the salt, whatever. Everyone knows salt keeps spirits at bay, right? 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 Sure. <laughs> but is the salt keeping them in or out? In. Because it's she's chained to a chair. So is the salt ring to keep the demon from fleeing when they make the transfer? What's going on with the salt? Who knows? I think, I think anyway, the salt is on. to keep the demon in tow and the chains are to keep the body from being too troublesome. Yeah, because that that chain's got a bit of length on it, so it's yeah, it's it would it would have to be to keep the demon out from intervening and stopping the ritual. Sure, but yeah. Uh, anyway, moving on. The the one thing I did like is if you look at the the shroud the witch is wearing, it's this pattern of crescent moons and pentagrams. Not a rule. Not a rule. It's a pattern. <laughs> and pattern. <laughs> go back to the very first <laughs> teaser for the film. And when there's cutting to like text and like the or like the background for the logo, it's the same pattern. Okay. And so they actually repurposed that design and used it in the teaser trailer. So at least it was consistent. It wasn't just kind of random. At this point, Ceremodius wakes the fuck up and has constructed a bone recliner <laughs> down there. Feels very Diablo, the scene of yes. you know, Ceremodius getting yes. up. It's like, oh, the boss has been triggered. Everyone GTFOs, you know, Margot is was in a catatonic state but now she's awake and chris is getting her to run the fuck out ceremonious is shackled so ceremonious he gets hung up part of the way and can't fully pursue sarah goes up because now they hear dale is up so dale can man the winch sarah goes up which is the luckiest thing in this entire movie because dale was going for the car yep he wasn't going to go for the car and then run to the you know the, the church he was just i'll be at the car i'll go to here you know and he got bored in the car and came here you were supposed to turn on the goddamn seat warmer. Don't let us sit in a cold car when we make our escape. Chris had no idea Dale would be there when he went down and had zero plan for getting back up. Yep. It's sloppy. All of this is sloppy. And, like, I, I could even buy that because, you know, they're the heat of the moment, whatever. It's just one of those things. It's like, yeah, you you killed the dude, then went down a hole with no plan of getting out of the hole, even though you, there's monsters in the hole. You, you're not bright. <laughs> Well, Chris does get the hell out of the hole. Dale pulls him up. They start to leave when they hear the winch moving again. And this is where we mentioned again, fat lot of fucking good the crucifixes did because Ceremonious nope, nope. is just flying right up that fucking yeah, chasm. Spider walk right up the tunnel. And <laughs> this is where we get kind of the first callback to the slow motion bit because as Ceremonious crests the lip of this thing, we get a very brief slow motion bit. And we get it again shortly because Ceremonious comes out, chases him outside, chases down Dale, rips Dale's bottom jaw off yep. in this big slow motion shot. And again, I was underwhelmed by that whole bit. Like, I didn't think it stunk. I was just like, eh. 
uh, I thought was okay, but part of me wonders if it chapter two ruins slow mo shots and horror for me. <laughs> you know, the just call me angel sequence, <laughs> which I was like, the fuck is this? I had to admit the jaw removal in slow mo. I, I enjoyed. I did enjoy it. It was pointless. It was excessive, and it was not worth all the setup and final delivery. But I liked it. I just like that they took 15, 20 seconds to explain why this shot was in the film and then had that shot in the film. Like in the film, they explain this is slow-mo and you see all this detail. And then this is the big payoff for that. It's like, I can't believe that's all you did yep. with that. Yep. If you're going to talk about slow-mo and all you get is this dude's jaw getting ripped off indistinctly because it's not even a long shot. Not to mention, you know, normally with these things, whenever you learn some new technique with the cameras, it's in service of learning about the entity you know it's like we're gonna do this with the night vision we're gonna do this with the motion capture and it's all about catching toby or this entity in more ways that you can evolve your your understanding and the presence of it and this is like nope cool death shot (laughs) that's it Chekhov's gun is usually done to introduce a plot point not just that hey guns are cool right exactly you get with it (laughs) precisely so yeah and then this is, so they, they run from the church to the barn in about 12 seconds. Yep. Now they have established that this is a long walk before. They spend time saying, you know, how, how far are we going to walk? This is a long walk. They talk about it being a long ass walk. They accidentally find the shortcut in the blizzard. <laughs> now, there are two quick camera cuts during this run. Yeah, I assume there was an edit, but yeah. Th- yeah, there's two. There's two brief edits, So, which is fine. Okay, so that's how you're, you're excusing except that it's supposed to be, and it's cut, so it looks mostly like one long run. It's also, this is found footage, so everything is supposed to be happening in real time during this sequence. So, like, immediately they get rid of that just to have a shorter run, because obviously, the, you know, Sarah Modis is running them the fuck down 30 seconds into this, because she's quick, they're running in the snow, and she's a demon. Well, Who it's... Can, yeah, I, I think... I did not expect to be defending this movie so fucking much. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> Why am I doing this? No, we it, don't it, normally put Eric on his heels like this. <laughs> Usually, this is me and Nick bickering. Yeah, it, this is this is not the where's the eat shit and die podcast. I can't believe this is the eat shit and die podcast. <laughs> no, the one thing that makes me think is coming up later is the bit where they got to go back for the keys, and there's a sudden cut then. So, again, I think it's, I'm doing a lot of hand-waving here, but again, with the movie already establishing, we're hand-waving away a lot of found footage tropes, like, you know, perspective and whatnot. I didn't blink at the not being in real time stuff. I didn't either in the first viewing. I did on the second viewing because it occurred to me that they spend a lot of time establishing how far away that church is. Yep. They treat that as an important plot point. And then throw it away. Then they throw it away at the, or they, they at least gloss over that at the end. You could have had a longer chase sequence. I mean, it wouldn't necessarily be great cinematically, but it either that make the cuts more obvious in this sequence. I didn't notice them at first. I thought it was just one sequence at first and then realized there were cuts when I went back specifically looking for those cuts mm-hmm. because of the argument Nick and I got in Stepfather. And which I'm still right about. Nope. And, <laughs> nope, nope, nope. <laughs> Episode 17, wherever you get your pods. And anyway, so that was why I was thinking about it with this. But anyway, it, it not a big deal, not a big problem, or one of the big problems in the movie. Didn't really care the first watch through, which is the important one, really. 
you know, the second one is where I'm out to nitpick shit. So, although not really out to nitpick shit, it's just what happens when there's a lot of shit to pick. Fair. In fairness, although my brain didn't get hung up and I just kind of hand waved the the time and editing bit, my brain did get hung up on the fact that as they're going through this barn sequence, that Ceremonious just spider walked, you know, right the hell up a chasm. But a six-rung wooden ladder apparently keeps her at bay for a solid 30 to 45 seconds. Because <laughs> the ladder they go up in this one bit is like she's hot on their heels. And they do not go up as this ladder is like six rungs. And then we, we don't get ceremonious for another 30 seconds. It's like, oh shit, how do I navigate this? Exactly. Another jump scare, ceremonious gets the jump on Chris, is beating the hell out of him. And Sarah picks up a meat hook and confronts her mother, calls out her name, Sarah. Yep. And this is where we get the POV break that a lot of folks on Twitter pointed out because there is a camera cut to an angle this is this is significant behind or to the side of ceremonious so margo is and in then the again background. like over her shoulder yeah yeah and there's another one and now they do that specifically well i mean aside from you know just switching up angles they do that specifically because there's the shot of ceremonious standing up and she has this very emaciated figure and so you can see her spine so they wanted the angle of the light coming over as the ridge of the spine as she stands up for this creepy bit I mean, it's a good shot. It just breaks the format of the film, in my opinion. You know what's funny is I had a whole different annoyance with this scene. Which bit? She said, you know, she says, you know, basically, look at me. Don't you recognize me? Like, she's never seen you. You might look like your dad. You look like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> You're exactly the way I remembered you on the you know? porch of the hospital. <laughs> you know, you don't yeah. look like anybody else in this movie. So arguably, she might look like her mom when her mom was younger and less possessed. So she might right, be like, but Yo. she's betting her life on that. Oh, yeah. She could look like her dad. She don't know. This is not like game breaking. I just thought it was funny. Look at me. Look at my face. She never seen your face. <laughs> you don't know if you look like her. You have not seen a picture. There are no pictures in this farm of your mom's. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I was mostly wondering where the makeshift barbed wire crown came in <laughs> that Ceremonious has. Yep. Oh, I assume that was from uh, Hereditary. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hail Payman. Payman, you know, he lost his hat to Asmodeus in a poker game the week earlier. <laughs> Pony up. Oh, damn it. Well, Paymon's working out of Utah, man. That ain't territory. This is, Asmodeus has got New York as far as we know. Fucking Toby's <laughs> holding down California and Nevada. So oh, he's yeah. the only one doing double duty, and that's a big state. Fucking Paymon's just They got a Utah? whole East Coast, on, West man. Coast thing going on. Very biggie, Tupac. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, of, of the demons, Paimon is the the one holding down the least amount of territory with the fewest amount of people in it. Whereas Asmodeus out here is signed up for a big-ass state. <sighs> so, confronts her mother, you know, distracts her, sadly goes for what, what's almost a kill shot instead of hobbling her, but Margot doesn't have context for what's going to happen uh, if... Yeah, you know, it makes sense, by the way, because Mob Deep is an East Coast rapper, so Asmodeus is clearly shook ones. Okay, two. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good call. East Coast rapper, one of them's dead, but... And Meat Hook into Ceremonious. Ceremonious Shink. falls down the trap door that was set up earlier onto the, I think it's threshing equipment. Yep. Or just miscellaneous pointy shit. And clearly dies. She dies at the exact spot. You fucking know she's gonna die 45 minutes earlier. Yep. 
Chris is still alive, so Chris and Margo make it to the van. And this is where we get, shit, no keys. Dale's got the keys. And you get that. I thought it was a nice reaction by Chris. Fuck! When they realized they got to go back <laughs> yeah. to dead Dale. Although all I could think of was the Simpsons bit with you. Out of the hole! Gentlemen, this canary died of natural causes. Back into the hole! <laughs> ah! Which is great, because we got to dig up stupid earlier, so, you know. <laughs> get the keys, and on the way back is where we get a repeat of the bell sounding, and the bell starts sounding in rapidly, you know, cut time, basically, and starts accelerating, dum-dum-dum-dum-dum, to the point that it's basically a blur. Which is conceptually interesting, a, a bell moving in a physically impossible fashion, you know, or producing a physically impossible sound. But it, it just really kind of took me out of it for a second. I was like, I get the, the idea for that being creepy, but it didn't really work for me. Because who's ringing the bell? <laughs> Presumably fucking Asmodeus is busy right now. Well, yeah, because so at the point where... Here's a thought. How much better would this scene be? If the bell started ringing and it ended up leading into the opening drum hits in Shook One's Part 2, and then this whole scene had Shook One's Part 2 playing it over it. <laughs> that would have, look, no lie, that would have erased every concern I have about this movie and make it my favorite paranormal activity movie. When we get the Amish guy who draws the shotgun on the van a little bit, he shouts, My bullets make you levitate! <laughs> Yeah, because when they get back to <laughs> get back to their van and they're approaching the community again, all hell is broken loose. Yeah, we're in one of them paintings. If anyone's seen the, like I mentioned before, I in, in a previous episode, I spent a good chunk of pandemic watching all of Star Trek with my roommate, mm-hmm. all of it. If anyone's seen the original series episode, Return of the Archons, they have the Red Hour. <laughs> When the bell rings and shit goes crazy. <laughs> and that's what happens here. The bell oh, is yeah. rung and everyone has lost their goddamn minds. We get an eyeless person. We get someone on fire whose arms are wide like, give me a hug. Because I'm mad, baby. So why don't I burn myself to bits? There we- <laughs> <laughs> There's our requisite evil midnight bomber reference. As prophesized earlier... The demon has been released, and now all the people have been kind of brainwashed into killing and harming each other. Well, almost everyone, except our protagonists, who are still running for their lives. Van starts. <laughs> they drive through. This is where we get the Amish guy firing the shotgun, who goes right over the hood. <laughs> A shot that is probably funnier than it should be. They drive over like three people. <laughs> oh, yeah. Why, why is the guy with the shotgun outside the door hanging out? Like, what's he's wait Just for- waiting. <laughs> Just in case they try to escape. Something's gonna, everyone else is actively doing damage to themselves yeah. or their surroundings. But like, nah, I'm gonna wait. Oh, like, this, this is, they'd run through a Hieronymus Bosch painting to get there. And one of them is just waiting out front of this door going, I bet something's gonna come through here and I'm gonna shoot it. You know, it's. <laughs> and, and points to the movie, I was like, oh, wow, the protagonists actually escape. Yep. They do not die on his egg. They get the fuck away. I love her scream at the end. Like, she gets in, looks at the camera and screams. I thought that was really in the moment and it, it felt very legit like i yeah, really thought it was well done of all the things she just that that scream and the look on her face i thought was really good for what they just went through because she had a bad night and she had to let that shit out and there it was and it felt real agreed yeah i i, I legitimately like this bit yeah of, the, yeah of them escaping and 
And just the, the fact that they did escape, I was like, oh my gosh, that's cool. They, they, they live. Nifty. It, it is worth noting that, yeah, this is the very first film in the series where the main protagonist survives and is not possessed. So that was a first. Yeah, they escape. Now we cut to dash and body cam footage of the police investigating the scenario. And they hear a baby crying. And it is Samuel mimicking a baby crying. For reasons passing understanding. But it was creepy. It is creepy. This bugged me because, and I can't name it because it's a spoiler, but there's another found footage movie I just saw, which did this exact same thing to far better effect because it actually had like plot impact and made sense. And so this one where it's, it's just to be creepy was like, yeah, it's a creepy concept, but it, it, and so that's not really this movie's fault. That's just unfortunate timing of me seeing another movie that used it to better effect in such proximity to it. So now, instead of Ceremodius, we have Samuel Modius. So, as Modius is now possessed a male, and as they established, historically women have the ability to keep Asmodius in check. Men do not. Just a vessel, and you know, they hand Asmodius the keys, and he's got free reign. And uses telekinetic powers to make the cops kill themselves, gets them in the cop car, drives away, and says, Alright, I'm finally free of that fucking cave. Priorities. Take me away, Loretta Lynn. We get Hello Darling playing on the radio. And and yeah, I, I kinda liked the ending instead of, you know, last, you know, there's no Sinister Two where Bagul randomly leans into the frame and goes, Bugah! you know, anything like that. It's just yeah. just a unnerving thing and then just Loretta Lynn <laughs> dude drives. It's kinda weird because it's like you do wonder it's like, well, where the fuck is this leading? But you know, there's plenty of possibilities, so I, I was okay with it. It was a nice chaos kind of element going, you know, it was, it was the chaos of the environment. And then he gets in the car and you get this kind of like chill moment. It's, it was nice uh, juxtaposition. It's the exact ending of the last exorcism too. It is. Which is the last exorcism part two. And that's next of kin. I like the ending. I like the, the idea of that being, you know, lead into whatever they were going to do next. But like, I don't, I don't think the next, the, the next one is going to have anything to do with this. I think the next one should be called the apology. We're sorry. We named it paranormal activity. <laughs> so I ended episode two with a pitch for paranormal activity seven at the time, which I called the shook seven, which was <laughs> like, I mentioned, I wanted a rise of Skywalker as parade of MacGuffins where we bring in someone, a survivor from every movie and also a plot mechanic from every single movie. So we can have this leads to this leads to this. So I've got a pitch for Paranormal Activity 8. The other side is called. No, I got a very, very clear title for mine. So I'm just doing one MacGuffin for this one. And, and what I've got is very loose. But everything hinges on the magic fork from Paranormal Activity 4. Of course it does. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Chris and Margot are on a hunt for the magic fork from Paranormal Activity 4. Because Paranormal Activity 4 establishes that the fork tells the future, but we establish now it can take you into the past. Ah! So Chris and Margot are going into the past to try and stop all this Asmodeus Toby shit before it even gets started. Maybe stop Sarah before she gets possessed or some shit. I haven't fashed all that out yet. But all I know is, at some point in it, shit goes awry. Chris is stranded in the past without his video equipment and says, all right, well, I've got, you know, what am I going to do? I'm stranded in the past with, you know, no technology, but I know what my trade was. So I'm going to start up a video shop, you know, videographer and starts up a video shop. And at the end of the movie, he leaves the video shop to his apprentice, Dennis, 
the video guy <laughs> from Paranormal Activity 3. So the movie ends where Paranormal Activity 3 begins, turning the whole franchise into a Mobius strip. <laughs> and when you get to those end titles and it says Paranormal Activity 8, you take that 8, you turn that some bit sideways, it's Paranormal Activity Infinity. <laughs> Infinite activity. <laughs> and that's when we get to space. Oh, fuck, yeah. Well, no, we got it. 10 is the magic one for space. So we got to figure out nine and then we get P-A-X, which will take (laughs) us into space. (laughs) I don't know. I I think I, I, that's a great pitch. I would watch the shit out of that. I'm I'm, I'm on board for that. So for nine, I'm going to claim nine. Okay. I, I, something we talked about earlier is I want to see that Biggie versus Tupac East Coast, West Coast (laughs) rumble between Asmodeus and Toby. I, and you know, bring in Paymon too. Why the hell not? And I just wanted to see a scene of Paymon and Asmodeus making fun of Toby for his fucking name. <laughs> <laughs> was Paymon Suge Knight in this? <laughs> <laughs> Death Row Haunters. <laughs> I wouldn't watch that. Oh, please don't kill me, Toby. <laughs> please don't possess my body, Toby. <laughs> I literally just watched Tupac Resurrection two weeks ago or something, so it's perfect timing. So yeah, that that's what I'm watching for number nine. That's that's my pitch. I look, you know, we we just made fun of a lot of this and pointed out in the end. Like I don't feel particularly negatively towards this movie. I just don't feel particularly positively towards it either. You know, all of these incongruities are fine. You know, if the story is clever enough and the hook and the performance in this is a pretty good. Like the, the yeah. actors and actresses, I think. Yeah, all right. They all do a fine job, particularly uh, what's his face playing Jacob, who I think does a very good job. Uh, Tom Nowicki. Tom Nowicki. But in the end, it's just bland. Yep. It is aggressively a nondescript found footage movie. But I also think that's because we watch a lot of horror movies. And, you know, personally, I've seen just a shit ton of found footage films where they, they have a tendency to fall into patterns. And this one just falls into those patterns. Am I mad that this is Paranormal Activity 8? Nah, it's fine. You know, do I wish it was a better movie? Yeah. Am I excited for the next one? Stupidly so, yes. I got really excited when I saw they already had it coming out next year. Like, I, I'm on board for the franchise. You know, and like, I hated Ghost Dimension. So, and I'm still got excited for this. So, look, I'm I'm a mark. I really, I'm a marked one. Yeah. <laughs> Nice for this, and I and I'm still gonna watch anything William Eubanks and Christopher Landon are involved in because again they earn a lot of leeway and a lot of uh, positive uh, feelings from their previous work. So you know, do I think this was a misstep? Sure. Do I think it's a particular like it's like a career threatening one? No, not at all. Is it gonna ruin the franchise for me? Not even a little bit. You know, will I watch it again? Probably when I watch a do a grand rewatch of all of them, it will get tacked on. I'm not going to buy a new box set of all of them just to get this, though. So, yep. I like William Eubank. I like Christopher Landon. As much as I like them, as much as I'll support them, I, again, have lost my faith in this series. I, I'm just disappointed. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> this This could have been so much more, or at least it could have been so much of its own thing, and it didn't do that either. So it's just, it misses the mark, and I walk away with my head hang low. <laughs> Would not recommend. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, well, to echo one bit, so all three of us say it again. Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely a fan of William Eubank, and 
Christopher Landon's work. We said it earlier, but if you haven't seen Underwater, I spent the first viewing of Underwater being actively annoyed, not because of the because the film was good and it was being tossed into theaters, kind of yeah. you know with minimal marketing and whatnot. It's still the last movie I've seen in a theater. Same. I I haven't been back. And people are have in the intervening couple of years, people have slowly been kind of discovering it. People keep finding out like HBO Max, like, hey, this is good. And yes, it is. It's a very underappreciated film. I also don't know. Like, I, I know that film kind of got tossed aside by Disney, but I don't know how you watch the opening of that film and don't offer William Eubank like a higher profile. Like you can, your stuff has energy. It's very kinetic. Yep. Give you, you know, yep. give you an action movie or something. And from what I've seen of. Christopher Landon's other stuff is the only one I've seen is Freaky. I forgot to mention earlier, Christopher Landon didn't write Freaky solo. He co-wrote it with Michael Kennedy, who's also awesome. But Freaky's terrific. And for this film, for the format changes, I I wasn't a fan of them, but that's a personal preference thing. Yeah, my I mentioned before, my affinity for found footage is generally because I like the intimacy and the sense of authenticity that it has. But it didn't bother me because, again, the movie introduces it to you early, so it didn't really throw me as it went. So in the end, I I just thought it was you know, kind of a um, it ended up being kind of a middle of the road found footage film for me. I absolutely think points on for trying something unique. You know, I'm I'm glad you know for Christopher Landon's Twitter thread, you know, that they didn't do just you know hash out same old shit. Because I know if I was a writer and I was told you know dig myself out of the continuity hole after Ghost Dimension, I'd have been like ah fuck. I probably would have wanted to wipe the chalkboard clean too. And so say, let's just reboot and go from there. So, yeah, points for trying something different. I didn't find it particularly scary, but I, I thought it was a decent enough watch with some fun set pieces. I like the ambition of the finale, that it's a series of sequences and not just, a you know, one last scare or something like that. It's closer to the marked ones in that respect, where it has that extended yep. climax where you know, they storm mm-hmm. the thing and then there's, you know, the supernatural stuff and shooting down the coven and then they're going through the portal and stuff like that. It's that same thing where it's giving you an actual staged and drawn out climax instead of just, oh, sudden scare, we're done. So, yeah, middle of the road, and I'd probably put it in kind of smack dab in the middle of the series if I were to rank them. But yeah, I enjoyed that. Uh, it'd probably be on the lower side for me. Yep. But again, I'm a bigger fan of the four than most people. But it, this, I would, I enjoyed this more than Ghost Dimension. Oh, Ghost Dimension is shit. <laughs> you know, it, it, they essentially have two movies in this series where they separate it from the main plot and they try something different. One of them is a resounding success and one of them is this. So, yep. So it goes. One for two is not bad. But if you saw it, let us know what you think. And, you know, certainly hope you enjoyed listening to this. You can follow us on Twitter uh, at Scary Stuff Pod. You can follow us on Instagram at Scary Stuff Podcast. So we're going to get back to work on our Nightmare on Elm Street episode. But it was really nice to do a follow up on such an early episode of ours and for a franchise that you know we've talked about a lot on and off the pod. So this was a real blast to discuss. One of my favorite franchises. I'll, I'm free. I'll freely admit that. I love those movies. Eh. and on that note this is eric signing off thank you for listening always a pleasure talking y'all this is nick this is jake saying keep them shook crews running (laughs) good night everybody night night